does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Man, we got a big one lined up today. I mean, never mind when you look outside at the weather. That is not indicative of the forecast for this show today. Because it's a little bit gloomy, rainy. Yuck. It is yucky. But again, Jimmy, listen, I'm an optimist. I thought the term we had coined was (laughs) It is. It is definitely a good day. But here's the thing. I am the eternal optimist, right? I am sunshine and flowers 365 days a year, especially today. I am springing the step today like blossoming tulips and you name the birds chirping in the sky. That's my mood today. That's my outlook because last night, not that anybody cares, but I'm going to tell you anyway. For the first time since I was probably 10, I just said, you know what? I got nothing going on. I use off. They are in Iowa tonight, right? Or excuse me, against Iowa tonight in Bloomington, right? Yep. Purdue is off. They play tomorrow against Northwestern. Boo-booey back in the saddle. The Pacers last night were off. They are in Boston today. And Aaron Neesmith, the... My favorite player right now on the Pacers, and I'm going to try to hide my man crush when we have him on to, to keep my level of professionalism, but Aaron Neesmith will join us just a little over 10 minutes from right now, as a matter of fact, from the city where his NBA career began in Boston, Pacers in Boston tonight. But the slate was clean for me last night, and I'm watching TV and I'm just tired. I just, I just like started fading, had a long weekend, so I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go to bed like 830. I'm just going to go to bed. Let me tell you something. I mean, I'm a a natural night owl and insomniac, but man, I I get now what people are up to. Brace yourself. Going to want to put your seatbelt on. This is some second half century of your life wisdom. We're about to get dropped right here. It's going to be big. No question. Well, you guys, listen, you guys are like, you've been going to bed before 10 for like five (laughs) years now, right? (laughs) And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm just going to. I'm just going to go to bed. So I I went to bed at 8.30, woke up at one point and looked at the clock and it was like five after one or something. And I'm like, holy cow, I got like eight hours left if I really want to exhibit it here. So anyway, amazing what it does. Does a body good, right? And we have a lot to talk about over the course of today. So I did not see, you know, most of the stories and the headlines that took place last night were of the national variety. Uh, But let's begin by talking about, even though Aaron Neesmith is going to join us in just a couple of minutes, Pacers in Boston, uh, Indiana and Iowa tonight. Jimmy, I don't know that Iowa is necessarily one that you would put in this category, obviously, in in terms of, I mean, from this point forward for Indiana, I know must win is an overused cliche. Not here, it's not. But... Indiana's in a situation now, are they not, where they basically, from here on out, every game is a must-win. I know that's a total cliche. It's almost embarrassing to use it. But they've put themselves in that position, not necessarily because 
of just the record in general, but you look at where Iowa is in the Big Ten right there with Indiana, and it's not going to go down necessarily as a good win, but if you were to drop that game at home against Iowa, who's also 12-8, and 4-5 and five in the conference, it, it goes down as kind of a bad loss. So it's almost one of those like not a lot to be gained unfortunately but you but what you gain is the fact that you would avoid a really bad situation yeah i mean the real stakes for indiana if you're still mapping which i'm not but if you're still mapping out where they could potentially make the ncaa tournament are you resigned to the fact they're not going to make it yeah no i've been that that was my boat last week i want them to i'd love them to i hope i'm wrong on this i don't think it's happening you need to stack some quad one wins which they have none and that would be teams that are either inside the top 75 when you go on the road or when you're at home, they are inside of the top 30. Games that are like that, that are left for IU, they go on the road at Ohio State next week, I think it is. Then on the 10th, they go at Purdue. Then late in February, they host Wisconsin. And then second week of March, they host Michigan State. That's throwing out what's going to happen in the Big Ten Tournament. In terms of losses that you don't want to have at this point, not going to get too technical, but quad three and quad four, which is like your 76 to 160 in the country type teams, and then anybody north of 160. So we're talking about like bad teams you should not lose to. They're perfect. They've not lost any of those games. But when you go to like the second tier, which Indiana is not a second tier team right now, by the way, they are by definition a quad three team based on what they've done this year. So third tier in college basketball right now. They already have one loss in quad two. That was when they lost on the road in Piscataway last month. So you look at matchups against Iowa, that's games that they're second tier, but so are you. You need to get these wins, and then you need to stack a couple of top tier wins like on the road at Ohio State and your home games against Wisconsin. I'm not going to ask about Purdue. I think they're going to get whacked at Purdue. I hope I'm wrong on that, but you look at that and... People look at me and they're like, oh, what's January? Why are we talking about this? Because they only have like 12 games left. This is no longer a thought of, oh, well, it doesn't really start until after Valentine's Day. No, it started for the Hoosiers about two weeks ago with where things are at. So, yeah, you got to take care of business tonight against the Hawkeyes. Now, one of the big storylines for Indiana is going to be, you know, that of Khalil Ware. And last night talked to Don Fisher. I didn't. I'm saying um, Mike Woodson, sorry, talked to Don Fisher last night about Kalel Ware. You know, he, Don Fisher had told us yesterday Ware was out of the walking boot, but there's still, I, I think that still remains to be kind of a game time decision. I had mentioned a week ago that I had heard, not officially, I mean, I want to make that very clear, but just that there was discussion amongst people pretty close to the Indiana program that they were wondering or curious whether or not Khalil Ware could make the decision to essentially just say, you know what, I'm going to be a first-round pick. I've I've kind of shown at Indiana what my skill set is, and if we're not going to the tournament, I'm getting ready for the draft. And I know Mike DeCourcy pushed back on that. And again, I didn't hear that definitively from somebody like on the staff saying, look, we know he's done for the year. But I think that was, that's been discussed or brought up. But the fact that he's out of the walking boot probably – leads away from that i would also argue jake and i don't know if you agree with this or not but it's more beneficial at this stage with so much can happen at the combine and so much can happen with scout reports between now and then but with where he's at in most mock drafts i think it's more of a service for him to still play and show off what he can do even if there's no future for indiana in terms of the postseason than it is for him to just 
hey, we're good. We're just going to see where the chips fall and be done with it. But the interesting thing, I don't disagree with that, but the interesting thing is if you look at games, you know, there have been games where when Indiana has gone against legit bigs, you know, where is probably more of a little bit away from the basket player at the next level. I mean, who isn't, right? Yeah. But there have been some games where, pardon the pun, he has struggled. And, you know, do you, for example, I, I, again against Zach Eady, I mean, is that a game that's going to allow him to showcase his NBA skill set? I mean, all we know from the first go around, he didn't play terribly, but Zach Eady diving on the loose ball while Kalel Ware st- stood there and watched, it, not necessarily like, the best look, right? Uh, to to take some of the burden off of him. In other words, can he improve yeah, his stock from yeah. here? I don't know about that. I just feel like most people, most players in college basketball, maybe not all, but most are cutting out from their highlight reel their games against Zach Eady. I just feel like that's not no, something I, I that it. you want. But I to get your it, point, but what I'm saying I is I, I don't it. know how much more he improves right. his stock, sure. but he could potentially hurt it, I yeah. guess, right? Yeah. Um, the hustle plays are the biggest thing, right? Effort matters. And I don't know, you know, when you talk about dry drafts, you know, this is not a good draft, that kind of thing. Like Aaron Neesmith, who's going to join us in just a couple minutes, was in the 2020 NBA draft. Now, you know what's funny about that 2020 NBA draft, right, Jimmy? In terms of your Indiana Pacers. Give it to me. The 2020 NBA draft, and I'm sure by then it was Adam Silver and not David Stern, but I'll do my David Stern voice nonetheless. With the first pick in the 2020 NBA draft, the Minnesota Timberwolves select Anthony Edwards from the University of Georgia. Not bad. And then, not bad, right? Yeah. The, the impersonation or the pick? No, 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 no. The, the impersonation. Thank I was you. I was worried at the start, but it got there. That was good. Uh, James Wiseman went second. Lamelo, Lamelo Ball, who's a good player, went third, right? And then after that, Patrick Williams... Um, I mean, you know, Killian Hayes from France went to now Obi Toppin eighth, Jalen Smith tenth, Tyrese Halliburton twelfth, Aaron Neesmith fourteenth. So you have four players between picks eight and fourteen in the twenty twenty NBA draft, none of which drafted by the Indiana Pacers, all of which now Indiana Pacers, right? Love quirky facts like that. Now, if you go the year before that, and to use my favorite term, and this shows, and and the reason I'm saying all this is because this is allegedly this year a dry draft. I don't recall the Romeo Langford draft being one that was listed as a dry draft when he came out. But man, Zion Williamson and John Morant won two. Pretty strong, Mm, right? R.J. Barrett's a good player at third. Yep. DeAndre Hunter went fourth. Darius Garland fifth is a good player. Yep. Jarrett Culver, Kobe White, Jackson Hayes, um, Hachimura, I, I can never which, say his which, name. Which, he, which Rui has found, he's your kind of guy, Jake, right? Where he comes out, he's the best player, one of the best players at Gonzaga, and it's taken him a couple years, but now he's found his role. We talk about that, of needing to find your True. role to survive in the NBA. True. But not, right. not, a, not an all-elite player, but, but a player that a, knows his role. But not a ninth overall pick, right? right? Yes, correct. Cam Reddish, Cameron Johnson, P.J. Washington, Tyler Hero's a good player, and then Romeo Langford. Yep. My point being... You, you, I don't remember that being labeled as an overly dry draft, but it kind of is. You forgot Goga. And <laughs> Goga, now here's the thing. Now you laugh, right? A little bit. Goga was what number pick? 18th. Okay. So you look at that and you go, are you looking at the draft right now? I from do. 2019? I have, I have it up here. This is my yeah. point about drafts, though. It is very easy to say, like, 
Are you kidding me? They took Goga 18th. Well, who went right behind him? Who was on the board that you're like, oh my gosh, they completely blew it that they didn't take that guy? Let me know when you're rolling through a name that you jump out and you're like, uh, oh wow, yeah, they really missed the yeah, boat here. I, yeah, I mean, not enough to like really nope. rock the boat. I mean, all of them are players that are probably contributing yeah. somewhere about the same amount of, of as Goga, right? Yeah. So you might as well have taken a chance there. But the point being, if this year's draft is a dry, if, if it's already labeled ahead of time as a dry draft, and maybe I'm just not remembering correctly, but those two years that I just read, 2020, I don't remember hearing whether or not it was a good or bad draft or whatever else, but it took a while. But look, you've got four players right there in the first round that are all contributing cornerstone factors on a franchise on the rise in Indiana. Whereas the year before that, I don't remember hearing in Romeo Langford's year that it was a a bad draft, but clearly it was. So if if this year's draft they're saying ahead of time, look guys, we're we're giving you fair warning here. Just be, be aware of the fact there's a bad draft. Then you got to wonder, I mean it's got to be pretty bad, right? Yeah, I mean and you're also not doing yourself any favors when you're following up a draft that featured both Scoot Henderson and Victor Webanyama, especially in Webanyama's case, one of the most coveted prospects of the last 20 years. So if that's your follow-up, naturally any draft is going to be more of a down look. But yes, there's not a ton of, at this point in time, names that jump off and pop off the screen that would tell you, hey, this is a can't-miss draft. You're going to want to be involved in this. Right. Do you watch the draft every year? I try to, yeah. Second miss, round, I get a little lazy with it, but first round, yes. My, I, It is impossible for me to talk about the NBA draft without mentioning this fact when I do my David Stern, okay? So, Jimmy, this probably, and I don't mean this kind of sentence, no, you're, you're probably good. too young to remember this aspect of it. Okay. Calbert Chaney, Allen Henderson, Brian Evans. When those guys were drafted, what did David Stern do every time that absolutely irked nails on the chalkboard, bang my head against the wall, Jake Query in his living room. My guess would be, using my astute knowledge, would say he referred to it as University of Indiana. Every time. With the sixth pick in the 1993 <laughs> NBA draft, the Washington Bullets select Calbert Cheney from the University of Indiana. <laughs> no! Oh my Just gosh. people screaming all across yes! the Yes! And let me tell you something. Oh, sorry. Nothing drives me more crazy now than when, like, a blue chip recruit sends out a tweet that everybody goes gaga over that says, blessed to receive a scholarship offer from the University of Indiana. I feel so bad. I feel so bad for those kids. And I'm like, dude, but, but, Jimmy, how do you not? That's, that, that is literally the, like, 101, right? I agree. Every letter that you get, every phone call that you've gotten, every, it's called IU. Right? I, I don't feel bad for the mistake. I feel bad for the inevitable backlash that follows. I, I get it. Because if you but don't on, know, man. if you don't know, you don't understand but what, what, what you've done. What more do Indiana fans need to know about their place and relevance of major players today than I mean, that fun fact? I don't know. With the sixth pick in the 1993 NBA draft, the Washington Bullets select Calvert Chaney from the University of Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Boom, baby, right? Unbelievable. And I th- I'll tell you what, I thought Cheney was going to be, I mean, I was convinced that he was going to be a major star in the NBA because he had such an explosive first step. He'd shot left-handed, which was which is always weird to kind of guard and figure out. I mean, I thought he was for sure going to be a transcendent player at the next level. And, you know, obviously, 
for whatever reason, just didn't work out for him. I mean, he had a good career. He had a really good career, but he was not like a breakthrough, transcendent, game-changing franchise player, which I was hoping he would be. Uh, joining us now on the program. Now, guys, I'm going to try to keep my composure, okay? I've done this a long time. I've broadcasted a long time. I've interviewed a lot of athletes. I probably should not right off the top admit to Aaron Neesmith that Mike Preston, I think even Kevin Pritchard knows that Aaron Neesmith is my favorite player on the Pacers. And he joins us on the program right now. Uh, now, Aaron, you are in Boston, obviously. I- I'd like to know where you are right now. Are you in the locker room, bowels of shoot-around, hotel, uh, coffee uh, store, cheers, in, where? We're back in the hotel room. We're back in the hotel room. Okay. Um, so first things first. Uh, aside from I hope it doesn't make you uncomfortable that I just admitted that you're my favorite Pacer player, and I'll explain why in a second. Uh, is it weird to be back in Boston where your career began and where kind of at not no fault of yours nor the Celtics, they're just rotationally, you know, it was tough for you to get footing and then they send you here, and obviously we've seen what happened. But take me through the emotions of being in Boston. Um, I mean, I still got a bunch of, like, friends who, who, uh, who live here, so it's always a – good time coming back to the city get to see the old friends and hang out with them go get dinner and stuff so it's always a pleasure to come back to the city okay so you you now you know and you're playing very very well and this is what i I like about you and i want you to expand on this aaron neesmith i think you're over like 16 and a half a game over the last you know several weeks for the pacers you've had to kind of play different roles you're like a swiss army knife sometimes you're playing at the two sometimes you're guarding at the three sometimes you're guarding at the four um have you? How have you been able, I guess, to embrace the versatility with which Indiana has requested you to play, and the different factors from game to game of the ways you need to contribute? Uh, I mean, it's just been it's been fun. Like it just keeps it keeps every day interesting. Um, it keeps me sharp. It makes it requires me to be on top of my game at all times. Um, you know, know the game plan inside and out, and. Um, you know, whenever we make adjustments in the middle of the game, it's just like I got to be prepared for it because I could be guarding one through four at any point in time. I got to know their tendencies, know what they like to do. Um, and just knowing any way I can help the team is, you know, it's fun for me. Here's what, Aaron, this is what I love about Aaron Neesmith, okay? And then I want you to kind of expand on on the mindset. And in particular for people that are listening right now that might be high school players, the mindset of this, okay? You grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, or just outside Charleston, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yep. You were what, like a three-time state champion and player of the year in South Carolina? Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Yes, sir. So you you develop yourself to the point where then you start getting late scholarship offers. You commit to Vanderbilt. I believe it was Bryce Drew and Jerry Stackhouse. You might have played for both there. but yep. But you were a designated – shooter you were a scorer and most guys in the nba everywhere they've played they're the best player to have played at that school they were the leading scorer they were the guy you're not the leading scorer and the guy for the indiana pacers night in and night out not saying you can't be but was it challenging and where was the evolution and the maturity for you to change your game from being the number one scoring option to somebody who contributed in different facets in different ways? Um, I would say definitely, like, my time in Boston, for sure. Like, you know, I never didn't really get the minutes, um, you know, that I would have liked, didn't get to play every game. And, you know, they would randomly toss me in here and there, depending on matchups or if guys got injured. 
Um, and so it really taught me like to do whatever I can to impact winning that will allow me to stay on the floor. And that's not always scoring. Sometimes it's, it's defense, it's offensive rebounds. It's just doing the little things that, you know, a lot of people don't like doing. And during my time here, that helped me realize that, it helped, like, integrate that into who I am as a player. And then when I got to Indiana and I got to play and do more and had more responsibility, um, I made it a point to myself, like, all right, I can play now. I got minutes now, but I'm not going to lose that identity part of my game because that's so important to winning. And at the end of the day, winning is what we're here for. It's what we're here to do. Um, and you've got to make winning plays. Aaron Neesmith is our guest. Aaron, it feels like you guys are starting to turn a corner post Pascal Siakam trade. Well, when a player is traded in the NBA, especially midseason, how what are the challenges that you face with trying to get things gelled together, not just in a timely fashion because you want to stack as many W's as you can, but also in a way that you don't rock the continuity you had before the trade? Uh, I mean, with a dude like uh, Pascal, it makes it easy because he's a phenomenal basketball player. Uh, he's played for a long time, and so integrating him into a new system. He's played for multiple coaches, um, and so like for him to make the change is pretty it's not too hard also because he's he's a great person he has great character and he he's for the team um so he definitely came in with an open mindset and it was pretty easy to just integrate him talk to him and if he had any questions he asked like it was it was a pretty smooth sale you know with a guy like that Aaron that you acquire you know we as fans media guys you know guys taking tickets at the game everybody's curious when players like that come whether or not they're going to resign. And I know for you guys it's a business and you understand that from player to player, but do you occasionally give like how much is that discussed amongst teammates and do you do you occasionally give Pascal Siakam almost maybe ingest a sales pitch as to why he needs to stay here? <laughs> uh I mean, I I wouldn't say we really talk about it cuz like that's not like as a team and as teammates, our concern is, you know, who we play that night and how are we going to win this game tonight? Um, what do we need to do? But matchups, assignments, talking on the floor, um, and then like having fun off the floor, um, getting to know each other. We don't really talk about that stuff, I'd say. When you guys have gone through the last few games, Aaron Neesmith of the Pacers is our guest. He's in Boston Pacers and Celtics tonight from Beantown. Um I've been I've been very impressed over the last couple of games with Tyrese Halliburton out. Looks like that's going to come to an end. He's going to be back on the floor. But can you discuss a little bit? We talked about it with Miles Turner yesterday. How do how are things different when Andrew Nimhard is is running the point and because he he's very versatile in the backcourt. But does it change at all the tempo, the style, the timing of the way you guys play? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, they're not the same player, and the way that they run, um, you know, the offense and our pace is definitely different. And you have to have a good feel for playing for playing both their styles of games. Um, and so, it's obviously great to have Tyrese back. We need him. We miss him. Um, and I'm excited, and I'm looking forward to being able to run alongside him again. 
Aaron, going back to the college days, just because you went to Vanderbilt and their arena always fascinates me with the raised court and the benches <laughs> being on the you know uh, end lines instead yeah. of on the sidelines. When when did you I guess first go to or see Vanderbilt, whether it was as a high school player or whether it was in your younger days, and what was your initial reaction to their setup there at Vandy? Uh, I went when I was when I was seventeen, and I actually the city of Nashville. I didn't know what to expect. I actually thought it was going to be more rural for some reason. And then when I got there and there were skyscrapers and lights everywhere, um, it kind of grabbed my attention because um, Charleston is not like that. Charleston is more of a town in Nashville, a city. So that was the first thing I noticed. And then when I pulled up to campus and I saw the court, uh, it was kind of like a stage, like it was raised. The seats went below it. So people were eye level with the floor and it just felt like I was on a podium getting able to being able to play this game. Um, so I just I loved it. Now, Aaron, I had a couple of friends from high school who obviously were far more academically accomplished than myself that went to Vanderbilt. It's one of the elite academic institutions. Uh, all Every one of them came back freshman year of college wearing cowboy hats and cowboy boots. From like you know they got they got sucked into like you know the, the whole Opry lifestyle. Do you own either yeah. cowboy boots or a cowboy hat? I do. I own two pairs of cowboy boots. <laughs> that, I did. I, I caved the Nashville. <laughs> and they're people tell me they're like the most comfortable things ever once they get broken in. True. I don't wear them enough, so I couldn't. Tell. I literally got them. Like you can't go to Nashville. Can't live in Nashville and not own at least one pair of cowboy boots. So one day I went and got some, and I wore them maybe like twice in about maybe like five years. <laughs> so am I correct in saying that when you went to Vanderbilt, Aaron Neesmith, it was Bryce Drew that got you there? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Bryce, I was. They were for one year with Bryce and then one year with Jerry Stack. Okay. So Bryce Drew is an Indiana Mr. Basketball. You know, I'm sure you're aware of that. And then in Boston, yeah. you also played with another Indiana Mr. Basketball and Romeo Langford. So I wanted to ask you real yeah. quick just for our audience about those guys. Uh, take me through Bryce Drew, just w- what you learned from him when in the year that you were under him. Uh, I mean, the way the way Coach Drew ran his team was great. I, I enjoyed playing for him. Um, and he, he was a big – he really preached – team chemistry and being close off the floor. He would invite us to his house all the time and just make sure we bonded. Um, and that's kind of how he his approach to the to coaching was, was just making sure we're all as close and as possible. Um, and then Romeo, Romeo is one of the funniest people I've actually ever been around. He's always cracking jokes. He's always making sly comments. Um, he was, he's, a, he's a joy to be around. Did you get the impression with Romeo Langford, you know, because he was kind of in the same spot as you, right, where you guys just rotationally, a lot of talent in Boston at that time. Do you think it frustrated him? I mean, it's frustrating for any player to be in that situation. And that's something, you know, like being in that situation together, obviously we have conversations and, um, you know, try and talk, talk to each other, try and get each other through it. Uh, but, yeah, it's frustrating for any player to be in that situation. Now, you talked about team chemistry, Aaron Neesmith, our guest. You guys with this group, and I've watched a lot of Pacer teams, you seem to have it. Now, I'm not in the locker room. I'm not in the St. Vincent Center You know, when you guys are, are away from the court. But is that a safe assessment? Take me through just kind of the chemistry of this particular Pacer team versus maybe other teams in the NBA from what you can tell. Uh, I personally think this is the best locker room I've been a part of. Um, 
everybody one through 15 genuinely enjoys each other. Everybody can crack jokes with one through 15. Everybody does like everybody will talk to one through 15. Everybody knows every, like a decent amount of everything in their family life, social life, personal life about each other. I think the, the locker room that we have right now, um, we, everybody genuinely wants to see each other succeed. And it's been a joy to be in this locker room this year. Now, if you were to come into the locker room, Aaron, and notice that like somebody's rearranged your locker or your shoes are missing and you realize that a prank has been pulled, the player that is most likely to be the culprit of pulling that prank is who? Oh, man. Hmm. Obi. I'm going to go Obi. Yeah, he seems like he's got kind of like a little bit of a kid persona in him, right? Like yeah. a lighter-spirited guy. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Okay, now when you're you're in a team meeting, things are tense. You're going over film that 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 you know isn't a good game, and and Rick Carlisle leaves the room, and now it's just the locker room, and everybody's sitting there, and finally somebody like cracks the joke that, and every team has this, right? The guy that just kind of knows exactly when to bring the levity and get everybody loose again. That guy's who? Probably Buddy. I knew for whatever yeah. reason I could tell you were going to say like it just seems that way from the outside yeah. looking in you know what I mean um, yeah. yeah how can leadership Aaron Neesmith how can leadership be defined or take me through how leadership can can be defined by exactly that by being somebody that knows what players and what teammates need versus just going out and scoring and and doing that does that make sense what I'm asking yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say um, I had this conversation with James Johnson maybe a couple couple of games ago. I think one of the best qualities about being a leader on in a, on a team or at work or whatever, whatever the case may be in any team situation is you got to understand and know not everybody responds to things the same way. You got to know how to talk to certain people. Like certain people you could yell at and motivate them and other people you got to pull them to the side and have a have a softer conversation with them in order to get them to to do better or see whatever you're trying to make them see. Aaron Neesmith is our guest. Aaron, we had Miles on yesterday. Jake asked him about team flights, what he's doing in between games, and he mentioned that he's a big Nintendo Switch guy, and he dropped Smash Brothers, which is generally a game that you're going to play with a bunch of people. Do you partake in that at all, or is that just a just a Miles thing? Like, do you, do you get down with Smash Bros.? I mean, I play. I do. I have a Switch, and I, I'm a big Switch guy too. I actually bring. I bring it on every road trip, but I don't play uh, too much Smash. What's your game? What's your go-to? Um, I'm a, I'm a big Mario guy. All right. <laughs> All Mario games, Pokemon games, definitely my my speed on Nintendo. Now, what's the one that you two guys play? Rocket League. It's fine. D- Aaron, Rocket League. Are you familiar with this? I do know Rocket League. I'm no good at it though. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Uh, the, these guys are. <laughs> Jimmy and Eddie apparently play it like on a nightly basis. I personally consider that really lame, right? But um, Aaron Neesmith, our guest. Okay, Aaron, before we let you go, I want to get a couple of questions for people to get to know Aaron Neesmith because I got a feeling you're going to be in the city a long time. You ready? Yes, sir. Okay, the first one's this, and I'm very nervous about this um, because I have a definitive answer for myself, and you know, I, I don't want to think less of you. When you were growing up in Charleston, I'm assuming, like most kids – from a football standpoint, it was either South Carolina or Clemson for a lot of the yeah. kids that you ran around with. You favored yep. which of those two teams? Neither. 
<laughs> okay, that that's fair. So who was your team? Like, you were growing up, who was the team that made Aaron Neesmith cry when they lost games? I actually never really liked college sports. I always looked towards the uh, pros. Okay, so, so your team then was who? The, the Carolina Panthers. Okay, that's fair. So, that's so, understandable. Yeah. Right now, we're going through it. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> yeah. here we are talking about teams that make you cry in your 20s, right? I mean, yeah. I mean that's cool. Okay, secondly, um, you know, Indianapolis, obviously, in the summertime, and I realize in the off season you probably are traveling or maybe going back to South Carolina, but if you were in Indy with the number of concerts that come through this city, the one artist that you would most want to see perform live would be who? Uh, Probably... Little baby, or I'm gonna say Luke Combs because I feel like seeing a country artist in in indie would be a good time. Now you surely you saw plenty of them in Nashville, right? I did, yeah, yeah. That's why I'm thinking indie would be also another good city to see. You know, you actually, break the cowboy boots hey, back listen, out for that your, too. Your former yeah, teammate yeah. <laughs> Bruce Brown was a big country music guy, right? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, uh, how about this? The last book that you read or enjoyed would be what? Uh, Unbroken. It's a it's a real story. It's about a World War II veteran who got captured by the uh, captured by the Japanese. And Aaron, I, I'm not kidding you. The story. True story. Yesterday, I I was talking to my eighth grade English teacher about books, and she said she likes nonfiction. And I'm like, Have you read this? And I, it, the story of Louis Zamperini. Really? I'm not kidding you, Aaron. Yeah. I read that book in like three days. Yeah, yeah, it's a good book. It was like binge. It was like binge watching a TV show. It was like four in the morning, and I'm like, I gotta go to bed, but I gotta get a chapter in, right? <laughs> yeah, and I don't like reading either. And uh, my agent sent it to me, and I just I picked it up. Fine, I was bored. I picked it up, and I just couldn't put it back down. Okay, last one. <laughs> well, I, listen, it was a it's a great book. The story yeah. of Louis Zamperini, who was a track star, and then later was captured by the Japanese in World War II after like 59 days in a raft. Yep. Truly remarkable. Uh, you have or have not been to the Indianapolis 500? I have. Okay. Oh, you, no, no, I have not. I've not. I've been to. I've been to the track several times. I haven't gone to the event. But you like the track, right? Yeah, yeah. And I've been to uh, an F1 race there, I believe. Um, the man. What's that? I don't know if that's what it's called. I don't know if that's what it's called, but I've been to a race there. It just wasn't the Indy 500. Yeah, okay, so it was probably one yeah. of the IMSA races on the road course. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, best restaurant in Indianapolis that if you just want to get away and you're like, you know what, that food is really good, would be what? Um, I kind of like, like sauce on the side. Nice. Nice. All yeah. right. What about in Boston? Like do you like right now, what's the day look like before you get go to the arena? You just hang out and play Mario, or like what do you do? Yeah, pretty much. I'll just watch TV shows, play on my Xbox or PlayStation for a little bit. Um and take my nap. I try. I try to never leave my hotel or my room on game days. Uh, I've stayed in bed all day till game. Napping is very underrated, man. Very underrated. Very underrated. <laughs> uh, okay. More exhilarating: hitting a three at the end of a shot clock possession, or drawing a charge on a player that turns the game a little bit. Drawing a charge. Give me a charge every day. <laughs> yeah, you were demonstrative <laughs> about that the other night, yeah. man. You know? Yeah. Hey, you All guys right. got it rolling, and, you know, Boston tonight, then New York, right, before you come back and yep. face Sacramento? Yep. All right, well, Aaron, listen, we appreciate the time today. Certainly enjoy your nap, and then best of luck tonight taking on your old team in the Boston Celtics. And I know JMV, our coworker who had you on a couple of weeks ago, 
uh, we'll say the same thing. You are welcome back on these airwaves anytime you want, and we'll even play some country music for you. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate you guys. You guys have a good one. I appreciate that. Aaron Neesmith of your Indiana Pacers. Good stuff there. I'm partial to the Meet Me in St. Louis. My favorite calzone over there at uh, Sauce on the Side. It's good stuff. You like that? Oh, yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I love that, man. Like, just, you know, I, I've always thought, like, in the NBA. I guess that is right across from Gamebridge, too. Yeah. Like, it's right there. It's right I'm there. I'm thinking yeah, about yeah. the one up on the north side, but that one's literally right, it's walking literally right across the, the street. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, I remember when Lance Stevenson was here, and he lived for a while there in the residences right there, and, like, people would see him just, like, running down the street <laughs> before a game, like, in his <laughs> warm-up uniforms. And I guess now maybe you'll see Aaron Neesmith walking right across the street, right? Uh, good conversation. Appreciate it. We'll have that back up on the podcast for you to listen to later. If you missed it or would like somebody else to hear it as well. When we come back, Zach Kiefer, 1 o'clock. We'll talk about the AFC and NFC championship games, notably the AFC side, because Zach has been covering that all the way through the NFL playoffs. Appreciate you tuning in here on a Tuesday at Square & Company, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Look at Eddie. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Going with the old school, you know the rumor on this song forever, right? Like when I was a kid, when the song was out. You know that song's about Phil Collins actually saw a guy that watched somebody else drown. So he wrote the song about it. I'm like, wait a minute, if Phil Collins watched the guy watch a guy drown, didn't that mean that Phil Collins watched a guy drown? Right? <laughs> you know the significance of this song? Well, there are several. Um, or do you know why I played it, I should say, is a better question. Risky Business? No. Wasn't it played in Risky Business, I believe? Uh, go ahead. Today's his birthday. Phil Collins? Yeah. How about that? Man, let me tell you guys. Phil Collins, I truly believe this. Michael J. Fox would be in the mix. But from 1984 to 1988, JMV, I bet you 20 bucks would agree with me on this. From 1984 to 1988, there was not a bigger performer on the planet than phil collins i remember now phil collins here's my, my my beef with phil collins and thank you to aaron neesmith by the way for joining us on the program zach key for coming up one o'clock phil collins in 1987 the invisible touch tour came to indiana he came to indianapolis at the rca dome and that was the album invisible touch was that was just such an awesome album and the best cut on the album might be the brazilian which is an instrumental song but land of confusion was huge I mean, there were, there were a lot of things to love about um, Invisible Touch in that album. But they came to the RCA Dome and played for like an hour. Rob Whitaker and I went to the concert and were driving home and were like stunned because the concert was so short. And when it ended, we thought it was intermission. And they came out and they were like, sorry, folks. Literally, it was like Marty Moose in, in vacation. Sorry, folks. Concert's over. Moose out front should have told you. They, they they came out. Does anybody else? Somebody text me if you remember this. And my cell phone number, which I haven't given out, given not have not given out. Excuse me, in a while, is three one seven five two three ninety two eighty eight. Got to write that down okay? one of these times. Three one seven. That's right. <laughs> five two three 
9288. You just want to say hi, that's fine. But does anybody else remember the Invisible Touch concert at the RCA Dome where it after an hour they stopped it because Phil Collins got sick? It was the it literally it was the biggest concert of the year. And Phil Collins got sick and that was the end of it. So we're in the car and we're completely dejected over the fact that Phil Collins got sick and the concert ended prematurely when we turn on the radio to find out that number one Iowa had been upset by Ohio State and as a result Indiana moved back into a first way uh, uh, a first place tie with Iowa and I think Purdue for the 87 Big Ten lead and that was the saving grace of that but Phil Collins and Genesis were massive massive in the second half of the 80s i think a lot of people my age rediscovered or discovered phil collins and then as we grew old enough to understand like a soundtrack in a movie oh that's made by somebody okay who made that like tarzan a lot of people my generation i don't know if like phil collins lovers or genesis lovers pan that but like Tarzan was a movie when I was four or five, right? Right. Disney movie, but he did the soundtrack for that. Did he really? And then you find out. Yeah, I I mean. You know, coming there tonight and. Here's the last factoid about Phil Collins that that I'll expand upon today that I find interesting. The Beatles, not unlike Elvis Presley, the Beatles made a lot of movies, right? There were movies about the Beatles. There were movies starring the Beatles. There were movies written about the Beatles. There were fictional movies with the Beatles. One of those was A Hard Day's Night. Hard Day's Night was a Beatles movie. If I'm not mistaken, one of the storylines of the movie was, I don't remember if it was John or Paul's grandfather. They had to like get him somewhere, and so they, had, they rode a train. But it shows the Beatles riding this train, and they filmed it in England, and they used actual footage of the Beatles in a train station. And they get off of this train, and the crowd's going bonkers, and they used that footage in the movie itself. And in the crowd in the very front row, clear as a bell, is a British guy and his like 11-year-old son. And the son is Phil Collins. That's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Pretty cool. Uh, Pacers in action tonight. Boston, Indiana, and Iowa as well. And then Purdue Northwestern. That is going to be tomorrow night. Let's get back to talking about um, that Pacers matchup tonight, Jimmy. There, it looks like Halliburton's going to go, right? Rick Carlisle essentially saying this morning to our co-workers Kevin Bowen and Andy Sweeney on the wake-up call but with KB and Andy that Halliburton it appears is going to be back in the mix yeah I'm not going to make excuses for the Pacers other than what we've said in the past which is whenever you are trying to get and, and Aaron Eastman put some of that to bed which I appreciate whenever you're trying to get a new player involved it helps as he highlighted like Pascal Siakam, when they're as experienced as they are, when they've gone through as many coaches as he has, when they understand the nuance of the game, it's definitely easier. But inherently, as we talked about last week, Jake, there's a sense of being a stranger and trying to make this home your home. And it feels like they've done that now. And of course, you welcome Tyrese Halliburton back with open arms. He's undoubtedly going to make them better. But is there that lull initially when he's back and you're seeing consecutive games with him and Siakam and the rest of this lineup you add in the fact that even though and the Clippers might actually be really good, they go into Boston, who had only lost one game at home all year just over the weekend, and that's not a game. They win 115-96. Clippers are pretty much in the driver's seat that whole ball game. Boston's been incredible at home despite that. They're 21-2. and They're the front runner in the East or one of the front runners in the East for a reason. 
You add all that with how do the Pacers look throughout this game? Are they a cohesive unit like it appears they have been all year? Or is there a little bit of lull after a three-game win streak bringing back, it appears, Tyrese Halliburton? All that said, and maybe this is crazy, but it's an early tease that plays the day of taking the Pacers outright today. Now, you know one Celtic, I think he's still with the Celtics, that drives me bonkers. Peyton Pritchard? Boy, that is a good call, though. Derek White? By the way, I only have one person that's texted me so far, and it's Eddie. (laughs) I mean, come on, right? You said to text you. If you want to say hi, say hello. So I said hi. Uh, Jake, I was there. I went to get beer, sat down, and they came out and said it was over. (laughs) I dated a girl from the University of Indiana. Ha ha. And that basketball game was the only thing that calmed me down because getting tickets for that show was a big deal, not to mention the money. I love, love, whoever just sent me that, I love that they, every aspect of my story was confirmed there. I make sure that I'm not like, you know, losing my mind here a little bit. There is a guy with the Celtics that drives me bonkers, and I think he's still there. And I don't want to dislike him, but I do dislike him. And for that matter, he is connected all the way back, if we're keeping with an Indiana basketball theme of the 80s, to a season on the brink. And you might be saying to yourself, how could there be a guy playing for the Boston Celtics today that is connected to a season on the brink? A book about Indiana basketball that was released in 1987, the year that Genesis bailed on their concert at the Hoosier Dome. I'll explain all of that on the other side. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. There we go. Used to be that every time I heard this song, it meant I was getting ready to interview Tony Kanan because this was always the intro I'd play for him because the name of the song is The Brazilian. <laughs> I had a paper route in 1987 and I had the Invisible Touch tape deck. I can pretty much tell you the exact order of songs, I think, to this day. It's great. Great album. Um, is Al Horford still with the Boston Celtics? Yes. Yes. Is he the only player in the NBA that is closer 55. to my age than yours? <laughs> Uh no, I well, I bet LeBron's right there too, right? LeBron's what forty? Is LeBron LeBron's not forty yet? He's what 39. is it? Thirty eight or thirty nine? Yeah. Yeah. How old is Al Horford? Is Al Horford forty yet? He's got to be close. LeBron's oldest player in the league, so I think he's younger. Is he the oldest player in the league, or is he the longest he tenured yeah, player? Thirty seven, turning thirty eight in June. When Giannis Haslam hung it up, I'm pretty sure LeBron became okay. the oldest player. Because Al Horford seemingly has been around forever. But you know what? There's a reason for that because, and I say I dislike him, he just hits big shots when it's needed. I mean, he is the, there's a reason Brad Stevens has him around. He is the consummate pro. Uh, You need, every team needs an Al Horford. But if you're playing against him, it drives you nuts. Now, Al Horford's father, Eddie, you might want to fact check this, but I am 99.999% correct or sure that I'm correct on this. Al Horford's father, I believe, is Tito Horford, who played collegiately at Miami. But when Tito Horford was 
a high school prospect that was being recruited. He was a player that back in the day before NIL and everything else was rumored to be a looking for a handout player, if you will. And Sean Kemp was also mentioned in this same arena because Knight in the book, A Season on the Brink, Bob Knight was going and looking at Sean Kemp and then as well, Tito Horford. And one of the storylines of A Season on the Brink was Bob Knight's frustration with being a guy that played by the rules and was recruiting against those that did not. And Tito Horford was one of the key figures that was mentioned in the book. That is the, that is the father of Al Horford. 99.9% certain that I'm correct in that. Um, if for some reason I'm not, my apologies to all of you. But I'm pretty sure that that's correct. But um, back so, to what's that? Should we play Al Horford trivia then? That's right. So I think about Al Horford as playing for two teams. Florida? Oh, uh, three teams, I guess. I, should, I shouldn't discount the national titles at Florida. But in the NBA, I think of him for playing at two teams. Celtics, of course. Man. First one for nine years. Do you remember where he started? I, I want to say that he was in... Don't laugh at me here. Was he in Oklahoma City at one point? He did. That would have been one of the obscure okay. follow-up questions for you. Yes, he, he did spend time in Oklahoma City. Miami? No. Uh, but you're, you're in the right part of the country. Was he in Orlando? Sorry. I... In that general area, not the state of Florida. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. A la- my last guess here. Was he a Bobcat? No, further that- south. Okay, I don't know. Uh, Atlanta. Atlanta. With the yeah, Hawks for nine years. Mentioned- yeah, yeah, that makes... And then Oklahoma City, you were right. You know, the one other team, he was there for one season. After his first stint with Boston, he left in 19. I'd forgotten this, because I just think about the Hawks and the Celtics. I forget about the other two stops. You got the Thunder, but he played on one other team in the Eastern Conference. Um, For how long? Just a season. I don't know. Philadelphia. And he's been, I mean, and it's weird. Like, he's kind of a journeyman, but not. But yet he's, yep. I mean, solid, solid I only player, think right? about him on those Hawks teams. There's that one Hawks team in, like, 2015 that was a one seed. I think we want to get swept by the Cavs, but they were really good all year. And then Boston gets him. It's like, oh, this is a perfect feast for the Celtics. He's there for three seasons. But if you triviaed me, I would have thought, oh, it was just Atlanta and Boston. The stops in Philly... And Oklahoma City, those one-year stops are tricky. But then here he is in Boston, and he's continued to thrive in like a second window of his career. Eddie, were you able to confirm the Tito Horford information? I did. I looked it up. If you didn't, it's right. Yeah. Uh, This from Wikipedia. Horford's father, Tito Horford, also played basketball. Tito, whose father was a Bahamian immigrant, was recruited by Marion Christian High School in Houston and attended LSU and Miami before being drafted in the second round of the 1988 NBA draft. Um. Man, that was back LSU and Miami. That was Miami was not a big basketball program at that time. Obviously, Miami had had you know great players. I mean, notably Rick Barry, but LSU was another one that was just like if you were an Indiana fan or a Purdue fan. I mean, Purdue certainly had their discretions against LSU in the NCAA tournament when they had to play them in Baton Rouge, and then Indiana against LSU eighty one and eighty seven. But just Dale Brown was. Another one that everybody just assumed was a used car salesman when it came to recruiting players. Um, Zach Kiefer has been covering the AFC playoffs. A lot of good storylines throughout the AFC with Jimmy's Kansas City Chiefs coming out of it and advancing to the Super Bowl. We will discuss some of those storylines and a very cool story that Zach wrote going back about a month or so ago that intermixed kind of pop culture with football. That conversation with the national writer from The Athletic is next. 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You are just joining us. Where have you been? Uh, Aaron Neesmith was on about 45 minutes ago. That will be up and available on the website in podcast form. Really good conversation with the Pacers. Kind of combo guard forward, if you will. Um, Also, in the last couple of hours here, we now know that DeForest Buckner and Ryan Kelly are on their way to the Pro Bowl, uh, or named to the Pro Bowl, I guess I should say. It's not like they fly to Hawaii anymore. But um, Ryan Kelly will join the show coming up at 2.30, so 90 minutes from now. Eddie Garrison just dipped into his Rolodex and secured that interview for us at 2.30 Just what he does. Today. Just what he does. That's right. Joining us now on the program, though, he is a national writer from The Athletic. He has been busy covering the AFC playoffs, so I will allow Zach Kiefer to list off for us the specific games of the postseason where he has been. So, Zach, with that, thanks for joining us and recap for us the games you've seen in person. Well, it started with the coldest game I've ever been to in my life. Uh, AFC wildcard round in Kansas City between the Dolphins and Chiefs. I mean, Jake, I, we've all covered cold games. I've been to blizzards in Buffalo. That was a different level. So the last couple of weeks in Baltimore have been relatively nice. Uh, watched the Texans go down last week and then watched the Chiefs go into Baltimore for the AFC championship game on Sunday and play lights out for about a quarter and then kind of just hold on the rest of the way. So I've been doing AFC and we'll head to Vegas in seven days. Okay, so before we get to the games themselves and, you know, just the Super Bowl, Zach, you know what I'm going to ask you. And I I apologize that I had not responded to you. But you and I share, as I think a lot of people do, an appreciation for what I believe to be the greatest television show ever done, which was The Wire, which was, of course, set in Baltimore and is loosely based on real situations in Baltimore about – gangs and drug trafficking and police activity and crimes in Baltimore. And you managed to, as an enthusiast of the show, intertwine it with your job in football, correct? Yeah. I mean, I've written about some wild stuff. You know, the mobster I wrote about that hid in Indianapolis for 10 years from his father, who was a notorious gangster. That comes to mind. But this was this was almost on par. This was a, you know, a, a man serving a life sentence in prison for his gang-fueled youth in Baltimore in the 1980s, reaching out to me about five or six years ago via email from prison, um, wanting Colts news, right? And I was covering the team at the time, and what struck me at first was he couldn't handle any links. He said no links. He couldn't get on the Internet like the rest of us. So I had to copy and paste the words, and, and after a while I put it together that he was in prison, and Honestly, this man has completely transformed his life. He works as a mental health advocate. He works with some of the most at-risk you know, prison releases um, in his area. And he was released from jail in, in July. And he was able to save enough money to come up to a game December 31st when the Colts beat the Raiders. And I kind of spent the day with him, you know, what it was like for him going to a Colts game for the first time in 40 years. So just an unbelievable story. And, you know, I don't think Chris Ballard would mind me sharing the the fact that as soon as the story was posted, Chris texted me within an hour and said, 
you know, I want to get this guy's number. I want to reach out to him. I want to do more. So um, just kind of an unbelievable story that came to me. Which is, and you know what, Zach, here's what's fascinating. And this is what I appreciate about your work, but I think you'll agree with me on this. We, we oftentimes focus so much on the Patrick Mahomes, the Josh Allen, the Andrew Lux of the world. But sometimes the very best stories are those from the people that we that the guy walking the street has never heard of before. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and honestly, Jake, that's kind of my favorite part of the job is is finding the stories no one's heard of. And I know you love this, and you talk about these stories on your show a lot. And and I tell my students as I teach a class down at IU, and you know we love Josh Allen and we love Patrick Mahomes, and, and I wrote about Mahomes on Sunday because he was you know what he's doing is unbelievable, but. Everybody has a story. Like, everybody has a story. Some are better than others, but you know, that's the coolest part about the NFL is there's 53 guys in every locker room and there's 53 different stories. But beyond that, fans sometimes have amazing stories, and sports are sort of the prism that brings us all together, but it doesn't mean we just have to write about the players and the coaches. Yeah, nothing unifies the masses like sports. I mean, there's no doubt about that, right? Um, Zach Kiefer, our guest from The Athletic. Okay, Zach, let's talk about the playoffs themselves, I, I guess the first would be since you have done multiple games involving Kansas City, we focus so much on Patrick Mahomes, but has there been anything as you've covered the games that you have noticed about Kansas City that you were unaware of just in terms of maybe their structure, the way they go about things, whatever it may be, what have you learned about the Chiefs in this process? So I've covered a lot of Chiefs games this year randomly. I actually covered them in Germany as well, and and I don't think this is necessarily their fault, but Andy Reid talked about something fascinating on Sunday night. He said, look, like the mental toll of these long seasons, it's a real thing. And I think the Patriots dealt for this for a while. Remember, they would play pretty mediocre football early in these seasons after their Super Bowl runs. And I think you know, Kansas City was not a very good team at, at the midpoint of this season and even late. I mean, they had a really bad Christmas Day loss to the Raiders um, that, that was five of eight losses for the Chiefs we're talking about, mid-dynasty. And, you know, that's mediocre football for a lot of teams. That's terrible football for them. What was wrong? We all know about the drops by the receivers. And, you know, Kelsey was showing his age. And from the minute that Travis Kelsey ran onto the field when it was 27 degrees below zero in Arrowhead against the Dolphins for that first playoff game, it was different to me. I don't cover the team every day, but – this dude was amped. He was ready. And that energy has been palpable every step of the way in these playoffs. And you talk to the Chiefs players, and Kelsey's just been lighting them up in practice. Like, the energy and the competition is there. And you need that guy to give you that juice. And I think, I think Travis Kelsey saw it as a challenge. That was Patrick Mahomes' word, like, oh, the Chiefs can't do it away from Arrowhead, right? You've got to find these little challenges, these little doubts after you've climbed the mountain so many times. You've got to find new ways to refuel you. And I think that was true for Mahomes and Kelsey because, look, this team with this defense, as good as this defense is, they only need like four to eight ridiculous plays on offense. I mean, they only scored 17 points on Sunday. They didn't score in the second half, and they won the AFC Championship game, partly because Mahomes and Kelsey were so good early. And when you have two guys who – I mean, let's be honest, they might go down as the best to ever play their respective positions. That's enough. I mean, some of the stuff they were doing early against a really good Baltimore defense was just crazy at this level of the season. So they've been revived with Kelsey playing better in the playoffs. Mahomes is always great. 
And the defense is just unbelievably consistent. Zach Kiefer is our guest. Zach, people know that I'm a Chiefs fan, so I'm not going to sit here and glow about them as a biased party, but someone that's a neutral, does great work nationally for the Athletic, and his piece as regular season slog gives way to Super Bowl run. Patrick Holmes remains inevitable. You can find that on the Athletic. Did anything surprise you in those conversations post-game with General Manager Brett Veach, with Defensive Coordinator Steve Spagnolo, with Jason Kelsey? Like, did anything about not just where they were as you highlighted in December, losing five of eight, but just this run in the playoffs and the team they are now going into the Super Bowl in about two weeks. Anything about that story and the making of it surprise you? No, that's a good question because I've really enjoyed getting to go into different locker rooms this season and different teams at different stages and, and getting to talk to different players and I walk out of there admiring the Chiefs, to be honest. Like, look, I'm objective and I'm unbiased, and I don't care who wins, Ravens or Chiefs. But you watch, you know, Andy Reid get up there and you talk to Brett Veach and you talk to Clark Hunt, and it's really hard at that level to sustain that. Like, one of the Chiefs players, now he's a rookie, Rasheed Rice, and he's played great. He's like, look, man, like, we, we're the team everybody is after. Like, that's really hard to – sustain that and they have all these night games and you're going to get everybody's best shot and this is what Peyton and the Colts dealt with back when they were running and and this is what Brady and the Patriots dealt with and it's really hard to sustain that and to to stay on top I mean a lot of these champions will tell you that and the fact that they were left for dead in late December right I mean they kind of were like Miami and Buffalo was hot and the Ravens were as complete as any team we've seen in the regular season I mean they went to San Francisco and routed them. They beat the crap out of the Dolphins. Like the Chiefs were an afterthought, and and you forget about how good Mahomes and Kelsey are. But sort of the mental resolve to get back to where they were. I I was in the locker room and I was looking for something different, right? And the cigar smokers everywhere, and and the music is loud, and all these guys are dancing. And I thought to myself, where's the quarterback? Like where's the guy that changed this franchise forever? And Mahomes is off in a corner sitting to himself, just kind of like exhaling in relief. And he's looking at his phone. He's got this little grin on his phone. And I just, it just stood out to me, like the toll that it takes to get to these moments when you're that good. And then also to just break the hearts of every Baltimore person in that stadium. And Baltimore wanted this so bad. Lamar wanted this so bad. And I think they were pressing. And I think you saw championship DNA come out of the last two games. I mean, to go to, to go to Buffalo where they're desperate for a title and break their hearts and then go to Baltimore and do the same thing. Like this is legendary stuff right now. I hope people, whether you like the chiefs or not, are, are taking a minute to realize this is a, this is a crazy run. And as compared to the last dynasty we saw in the NFL, the Patriots, this one's a lot more likable. So in that search and that quest by the Baltimore quarterback to finally get over that hump and win the AFC, would we call that the Lamar hunt? Correct. The Lamar Hunt trophy. I, I know, but I'm saying his, his quest for it would be the Lamar Hunt, right? <laughs> I anyway. forgot who I was I forgot who I was talking thank to, Jake. You, you got me. Hey, how close did you get to Taylor Swift? Oh, I was super close. I was like I could have reached out and touched her. Um I'll be honest, guys, one of my daughters is absolutely obsessed with her, so I was able to get a photo. I've been around a lot of famous athletes, right? The biggest ones, LeBron, all those guys and I've never felt the electricity and the buzz that comes with Taylor Swift. Like there's 40 to 50 people, hanger ons, photographers around her at all times. It was just oh, I mean, she's arguably right now close to her. I, people are going to hate when I say this. 
she may be non-politically speaking the most famous person on the planet right I, I can't think of anyone. I mean, maybe the president, but like. Well, that's Messi, what I mean, non politically, I mean, right? I mean, I. Yeah, 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 yeah. Messi? I, I mean. Yeah, Messi, LeBron, country, or, I, you know, yeah, way up there, right? It's It, it was staggering. It, it was just staggering. I mean, I've. Just the. Just the eyeballs on her. You could feel it. It was, it was crazy, man. By the way, Zach Kiefer's the perfect person from the athletic to have on the show. Uh, just to get his reaction, not seismic, but we do have Eddie some news in the NFL, right? Uh, this just in, Zach. I'll allow you to react to it, only because it does have even since we're talking AFC some AFC implications. Ben Johnson has told a number of teams, including the Seattle Seahawks, that rather than continue overtures as the head coaching opening in different places, that he will be staying as the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. You surprised by that news, Zach? Yeah, I am. It felt like it was going to be Washington. It felt like it was going to be Washington, and it sounds like he wanted a lot in terms of a contract. But the other thing I'll point out is, in in kind of relating it to the hometown team, you know, everyone's in a race to hire these offensive coordinators, and Ben Johnson's been terrific, right? And maybe he wants to stay in Detroit and get that Lombardi, and that's very noble. But we do not know because you're a great play caller that you're going to be a head coach. And I feel like this is going to play out over the next couple of years. Like it's not always going to be that next step. Let's Sean McVay, that Kyle Shanahan. It's a lot. And a lot of coordinators and coaches have told me like when you get to the big seat, there's so much on your plate. It's a lot harder. And I'm not saying that's going to happen with Ben Johnson, but to relay it to Indy, I think Indy hit at the right time and got the right guy. Look, we've only seen 17 games and it ended in disappointment, but I have no reservations in saying that it seems like Shane Steichen is not just a great OC and not just a great offensive mind. That dude can coach the whole team. I feel like Indy's on the right page with that. And then secondly, when you look around the rest of the league, like we just don't know. You just don't know. So that's going to be fascinating to see um, what plays out. A little surprised he didn't go to Washington because they have the number two pick, which means very likely a quarterback, maybe not Caleb Williams, but you know, they get the rest of the field to pick from. That's a little surprising. If they didn't have that, it would make a little bit more sense. Dan Steiner's gone, so there's no ownership issues. Um, but he's going to be a hot coaching candidate in 2025 for sure. Zach Kiefer, our guest from The Athletic, national football writer, national sports writer in general for The Athletic. Zach, you spent a lot of time covering the Colts. Our audience is primarily, obviously, interested and focused on the Colts. You just spent time following the path of an AFC championship team. So, seeing the way Kansas City goes about their business, seeing the way Miami was going about their business, or Buffalo, where are the Colts? How close are they to being in that realm? And if you had to pick what differs from the way the Colts locker room appears and the way they go about their business, and the way, as you talked about, a Kansas City or a contending Super Bowl level team does. Boy, Jake, you have an hour. That could take a while. Um, some thoughts on the Colts. They're in an interesting spot. They've identified Anthony Richardson as the future. He's only played four or five games, so that is something to be determined. But the interesting part of where they're at, they've got a little bit of stability now, right? After so much instability the last couple of years. They have this window. They have this window with Anthony Richardson that lasts about four more years where he's on this rookie contract that affords you opportunities to go out and get other pieces that you won't be able to afford if you're paying him $50 million a year against the cap, which is what they want. You want that guy to get to that level, 
to be one of those alpha quarterbacks that, that is the face of a franchise, the guys that are winning games this time of year. So to get there, how do you get there? I would really, really focus on the offensive line and make sure that's as good as it can possibly be. And I don't think Richardson's injuries this year were necessarily because of the offensive line. I don't think they were necessarily because he can't protect himself. They were kind of freak things. But I would sure that up. I don't need to talk about what happens when they don't fix the offensive line for a franchise quarterback in this city. Everybody knows you got to keep the weapons around him. I think the offensive unit needs to grow up together, right? Like Josh Downs is going to be here. You love to bring Pittman back if you can afford it. Alec Pierce made some steps. I think that's really important. Obviously, you want to get better on defense, and I know there's a lot of criticism of Gus Bradley, but I really want to get the offense right. I think that's the most important thing for an offensive coach. Like That's why they brought Shane Steigen here. Like Get the offense right. And it was really, it was really good in spots this year. I felt they got the most out of what they could with Gardner Minshew playing most of the games. So if you can get Richardson comfortable with the guys he's around and really build this up, and I mean like two or three years by adding some pieces, getting the line right, like having the right veterans around him, then you can start to think about maybe making a wild card round, an AFC title, a divisional round. And then when the second contract hits, then you have to rethink things and sort of do what Kansas City's done, which has just been unbelievably brilliant. Like Brett Feach is not getting the credit for really turning that Tyreek Hill trade into a lot of defensive talent, some really good corners. Trent McDuffie, Need made the play on Sunday. Like, they have really gotten better cheaply because they've hit on these draft picks. You have to do that. So, for me, I think the Colts really need to nail the offense. That's what wins in this league right now. That's what the avenue you've chosen to go down with Shane Steichen. Get this offense fixed. Find some pieces you can build around with him. And then Richardson's going to decide how far you go. Let's just let's just break. I mean, let's just be honest. Like you're going to go as far as this kid goes. And so all that time on task with those pieces around him, I think that's the best way for the Colts to get a little bit better and a little bit more competitive in a very crowded AFC. Do you, Zach Kiefer? And look, there's no way for any of us to know this, right? But in your educated eye, you think Anthony Richardson's the guy? Yeah, I certainly saw a lot more to tell me that than the opposite. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good way of answering it, right? Because, you know, if you go back, Jake, like let's go back to the draft conversation real quick, like the inaccuracy, right? It was 53%. He didn't win a lot of games. Like I saw him process plays this season, and these are like the little things. Like the number one thing for me just from covering a lot of quarterbacks over the years is like, is he a real dude? And by that I mean like do his teammates really believe in him? Like are they behind this guy? Or do they think he's just about all the other stuff, like the celebrity and the splash plays and posting his highlights? Like, I've been around both. And teammates want the real guy. And I have nothing to tell me that Anthony Richardson isn't about the real stuff. He really wants to be great. And he wants to do the stuff that's not as glamorous to make himself great. But the second thing is the processing. That was my biggest question. Um, and he, he wasn't shrinking in these big moments. He was processing, getting to his third read. Steichen can do the rest, man. Like Steichen can do so many things to make his life, his quarterback's life easy. And that's why Gardner mentioned partly why Gardner had so much success. I mean, look at all those routes that Steichen got guys wide open. Like that is such a simple thing for a quarterback and such a hard thing for an OC. And I think there's a lot more evidence to tell you Richardson could be the guy and could be really special in a way that scares the crap out of defensive coordinators. So, you got to like that. Now you got to fit the pieces around him, and there's a lot more ways to go in terms of like 
you know, how is he going to handle success? Because that's going to come with his skill set. How is he going to handle success? But, you know, that's a good problem to have, right? Getting there, getting some success, I think that's going to be good. I really, I really think he's the guy for Indy. National NFL writer for The Athletic, Zach Kiefer, is our guest. Zach, a couple rapid fires before a bigger question, and it's all lighthearted in regards to the spectacle that is the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. First off, are you going? Seven days, man. Say a prayer for me. It's going to be a long week. <laughs> I will indeed. Do you already have your uh, accommodations set up? Yeah, the media hotel is the Luxor. So not, you know, I've never stayed in a media hotel that's also a casino because that could be trouble. <laughs> well, the reason I ask is because uh, there's a couple reports on Twitter right now that the rooms are now sold out at the Luxor and there's going to be additional spots at Excalibur. And this is just the media side of it in terms of just the craze and the chaos for covering a Super Bowl. It being in Las Vegas, a city that, again, was associated with so much and the thought that, oh, the sport will never be there, and we know we're well past those days, but how unique, how crazy is the spectacle itself going to be in Vegas compared to other Super Bowls do you anticipate? Yeah, it's going to be wild because there's so much of a tourist feel in Las Vegas. Like, in my trips to Las Vegas, I don't know about you guys in the past, like, 48 hours is enough. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. I'm going to do a whole week there. Now, again, the same, I'm going to be The same for covering a Super Bowl, Zach. 48 hours of covering a Super Bowl is enough, right? That's true, man. That's true. And, hey, man, I just pray for, like, short media shuttles to wherever the teams are practicing. Allegiant Stadium is obviously incredibly nice. But I have no idea how the – I mean, there's going to be just a mass of people in Vegas because they have all the hotels. There's going to be people gambling. There's going to be shows. Like – you know, for 50 years, gambling didn't exist in the NFL, right? Las Vegas didn't exist. And all of a sudden, it's like, give us the money. So this is going to be a spectacle, man. This is going to be chaos. And we've got two really good teams with two very, very ardent fan bases that are going to be there. So it's going to have a big game feel from the minute you arrive. You know, both teams have guys, Zach, that can make plays in space. You get them out in space, you know, McCaffrey, Debo, you know, I mean, I don't need to run them off for you. You know that. Does Indianapolis right now on their roster, if Richardson's able to do what we think he's going to be able to do, do they have the, the enough playmakers on their roster, or do they need to go out and still get themselves open space guys? Yeah, that's what I like, Jake. I, I, that's exactly like on my list, is, is find a guy that can just get you some yak, just get tons of yard after the catch. Those guys are really hard to find. But in these games right now, this time of year, where every team is really good, every team is buttoned up, all the coordinators are really good scheming things up. Like, these are, these are mismatch games. Like, these are scheme games. Like, it's all about the matchup. And the Patriots did this for so long where they just completely created a new scheme for that week. And now you're seeing the Chiefs do it, especially defensively, just tremendous work. But – you look at the guys that make the plays that win these types of games. I mean, Kelsey is one of one, but you play zone coverage against Kelsey. I kept wondering, like, why are the Ravens playing zone right now? He's just going to find holes. And then they play man, and he beats a corner in the end zone. It was a perfect throw and a perfect catch. But, like, guys like that, like, in a perfect world, I'd go get the Colts like a stud first-round tight end. I would do that if there is a tight end. Look, they're down in the senior bowl right now in Mobile looking for these guys. But – Jelani Woods, this was kind of a lost season for him. You like what he did. I like what Granson did. He took a step up, but like guys that can separate and guys that can really like win the game in terms of these big five or six or ten game-changing plays, like the hardest guys to find, I understand. 
that's what you need. And, and quarterbacks, more and more these days, they love those tight ends who can do it in the middle of the field. They're slippery. They can get holes in zone coverage. Like T.Y. Hilton was so good late in his career at just slipping into space and zone coverage, and he would make the catch. Like those guys are really valuable. And they might make like the third and seven catch that no one talks about, but those are the kind of drives that keep, you know, they keep drives alive and they, they win games this time of year because the margins are so small. I would love to see the Colts do that. I know the avenues to get there are very difficult, but look, I mean, if you can add a piece like that, it could change the trajectory of Anthony Richardson's career. Zach, I wanted to touch on this before we let you go. Zach Kiefer, our guest, you had mentioned how cold it was in that Kansas City game. I know this is going to stun you, Zach. Every once in a while I think of something, and I think it's like really clear and obvious, and then I realize that no one else has thought of this, um, and I'm just out of my mind, right? Was there any discussion about Miami? I don't know how it even would have taken place. But am I the only one that was curious to this? Like, why did Miami not – and maybe they did and I didn't hear about it. No, they didn't. Why did they not go up early, whether it be to Columbia, Missouri, or somewhere? I mean, there have to be in the NFL world coaches that had a connection to a university or something in the area. Would it, would it have been wiser for Miami to go up early and have some practices and acclimate, if you will, to the climate? Yeah, that's a fair question. And I was talking to – talking to someone on the Chiefs staff, and so the Chiefs and the Bills just practiced outdoors. They just, like, do it. The coaches want the mental strength and all that, but I think one of the reasons, Jake, is it was only, like, 30 degrees in Kansas City up until, like, Thursday. So, like, that's fine. That's, like, livable, right? And then on Friday, it dipped to, like, zero. And then Saturday, it was, like, obviously negative 20 with the wind chill at kickoff. Like, Miami couldn't really do anything to simulate that. Partly, that's not Miami's fault. But Kansas City, look, I mean, and I know body language is one thing, but, like, Travis Kelsey ran out in the field and was jumping around and hollering without sleeves, and I'm like, this guy's crazy. And the first first down he caught, he was doing the same thing. And, like, they were embracing it. And I talked to a, someone on the Chiefs, in the Chiefs building, and he's like, look, if you're thinking about the cold, you're not, you're not going to be playing your best football. And I looked over in the Chiefs sideline, and they're all standing up, and they're all celebrating. And I looked at the Dolphins sideline, and they're all sitting on the benches with the hand warmers and the heaters. And, look, yeah. I would probably be doing the same thing, man. It was unbelievably cold. Like, I was afraid my car wasn't going to start when I went to it at 2.30 in the morning after following my story. But, yeah, the Dolphins, I mean, I just feel like they were done from the start mentally. And then the Chiefs just played great as well. And, I mean, it's not like Kansas City's Chiefs – it's not like the Chiefs players are all guys that grew up in Kansas City, right? I mean, like, we laugh about that because it's like, look, they're NFL guys. Half of them probably played at Florida State, Florida, Clemson, LSU, whatever. But still – Miami that's what I mean right so like but still you would just think that like you would at least go up when you're living and practicing all week in Miami I don't I mean even I don't care if you're from Indianapolis you spend a week in Miami and you come back and it's 20 below like that's I mean that hits you man and like you got to hit people I just think I was like why would they not have done that maybe it's just tangibly like logistically a nightmare to do I maybe I don't know yeah they brought like a lot more equipment. I know that. And, and you try to do everything you can from a logistical standpoint. I'm talking about the Dolphins, just to just to be prepared. But, like, dude, like, and I'm wearing every layer I've got. And the press box is freezing. Like, the press box is heated and it's still freezing. But, like, when you are outside, it was, like, it was jarring. Like, you can practice in 30 degrees. You can practice in zero. Like, it was absolutely jarring to be on the field. And I, I was looking at the field. I'm like, I wouldn't want to kick a football. I wouldn't want to, like, 
it was crazy. And the Chiefs kind of just embraced it. And But you could tell. I mean, Mahomes' balls were zipping through that cold air. You know, Tua's were not. I mean, there's those little things added up over the course of the night. And the Chiefs, the mental toughness, that championship DNA, like I really thought that was a real thing that night. Exactly. Hey, for some reason, you can't find the Luxor. You know, it's the one that looks like a pyramid. Well, apparently they've, <laughs> they've, they've upped the ante now because there's going to be a big, like, Dorito, like, basically like a Dorito chip on one side of the hotel. So yeah, just, yeah. If, you, if you pass the nacho cheese, you've gone too far, okay? The, the real question is, is all right, straw pull, how much money am I going to lose? Less than five in, like, the tables. If I get to, like, play a little blackjack, like, less than 500, more than 500, enough to where my wife tells me not to come home. It so depends on how much you're allowed to lose, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. And do you have and the, the good thing is I got a ton of work to do. Do you have the willpower if you hit big to walk away right then? That's, that's, that's the real the hardest, question. That's the hardest thing in the world, Jake. I mean, as our, as our buddy Mike Chappell always said, you know, they don't tear casinos down. They keep building more. Like, there's a reason that they keep building yep. more casinos. Hey, will you get a chance? I know Hagen's going to try to do this, I think, and I know you're going to be busy, um, and it may not even be your wheelhouse from the band standpoint, but I'm going two weeks after the Super Bowl to the Sphere to see you two. Is that in your on your radar at all? Oh, that would be awesome. Like, I, I had a friend do that, and he showed me the video, and it, it just blew my mind. Like, that would be incredible. Now, Super Bowl week, I can't imagine the prices the, they're going to Here's start. the thing that's weird. The tickets right now on StubHub are less than what um, what I had to pay for two weeks after that, I, which is so weird. You, I mean, U2 is playing in Vegas next week? So U2 has residency at the Sphere. Okay, so it's continuing. Okay. Correct. So they, wow. they do, like, it's every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I think. And, That's unbelievable. I, you know, I mean, it's not inexpensive. I will tell you that. It's not inexpensive. But yeah. the tickets right now for the Saturday before the Super Bowl, the night before the Super Bowl, are less than they are, like, the ones that I had to buy for the 24th, which is weird. But That's wild. That'd yeah. be an unbelievable show. That'd yeah. be, like, bucket list stuff. Yeah, it'd be cool, for sure. But you know what? A Super Bowl out there is pretty darn cool. Zach, we've kept you probably way longer than you anticipated, so I do appreciate it. What next is upcoming for you, other than – Super Bowl coverage, any other cool features that uh, you want to let people know about? Yeah, this is actually a cool one. Um, when the Combine rolls into town in a couple of weeks, I've got, I, I think it's the most inspiring story in the entire NFL draft. A, a player was, he's probably going to go third or fourth round, but um, essentially abandoned as a child. He was a ward of the state of California when he was eight years old. He was homeless when he was 12. And it's just an unbelievable, remarkable story. There's some people in his life that helped him. And he'll be an NFL draft prospect in a couple of weeks, and he'll be an NFL player next season. And it's just it's just remarkable. It's one of those stories that just – it's so little about sports and so much about people being good. And it's, it's one of those stories that makes me love my job. Zach, somebody just asked if you're related to LN coach Jack Kiefer. I know it's not your dad, but are you related to him? I'm not, but I've heard that about a thousand times growing up in Indianapolis. So I'm not related to Jack. All right. Well, two good guys, both of you guys. Zach, appreciate it. Enjoy Vegas, all right? Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, Zach Kiefer from The Athletic joining us on the program. Again, if you're just joining us, uh, Eddie, let's go ahead and hit, we might as well, even though it's an hour and a half ago, hit that breaking news center one more time. Ryan Kelly, DeForest Buckner on their way to the Pro Bowl. Now, what does the Pro Bowl exactly consist of now? Flag football and some games. I think it's called the Pro Bowl games now, technically. Pro yeah. Bowl experience? Is that what it is? The pro- they sure. get, and my understanding is if they win enough of those games, they get tickets that they can turn in for sunglasses and beach a big, balls. A and big stuffed bear. A big yeah. stuffed bear. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, exactly, exactly right. No, Eddie's right. Like They have a couple drills where 
a quarterback will be like in a pocket and then they'll have targets with a defender and so the quarterback will try to get as many points the defender will try to get as many it's turned into a glorified carnival game set. well yeah. you know what uh the carnival has just begun for ryan kelly because he's going to join us an hour from now to talk about his selection eddie spin it life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The hits of Phil Collins-related songs today as Phil Collins celebrates a birthday. He is retired now. I think he had... He had, he had some health issues, but uh, did it, how old is Phil Collins? Are we gonna let's play the always fun guessing game of how old is Phil Collins? A game that is rousing, I'm sure, uh, to the listening audience. Jimmy Cook, your guess. Seventy. I already know the answer because I looked this up earlier. So, okay. I let me ask you this, Eddie, for a hint ahead of time, which is unfair, and Jimmy should have been able to have this hint as well. Is it a milestone birthday? No. Okay. Um, I will say that he is, you said 70. That's a really good guess. Uh, I'll go with 72. Price is right style. Jake is the winner. 73. Man. Okay. Man. Um, Felt good about You were 70. talking about Las Vegas, Jimmy. You have. We may have discussed this before. Uh, as the Super Bowl is set for Vegas itself, you have been to Vegas how many times, Jimmy, or have you? Three times, but all were while I was on assignment, either for play-by-play -play stuff or whatever. I'll be the first time leisurely this March. And you, okay, you are staying where when you go in March? I now, don't know let that. Me, let me preface with this. I know I think, where I've been in the past. I think it's kind of an overrated question, even though I'm about to ask you, because people are always like, where are you staying? Are you really in your room that often? Yeah. You know what I mean? So... I have stayed, you have stayed where in Vegas? I've stayed at MGM Park, I've stayed at the Palm, and I've stayed at New York, New York, I think, are the three. Okay. And I would assume that the you know, the rooms are probably the same on all of them, right? Yeah. You have stayed, uh, Eddie, have you been to Vegas? I have. Where did you stay? I've stayed at the Paris and the American American. Uh, I, I liked Paris. By the way, oh, yeah. did you like it? Yes. Um, so I've been and I stayed at Rio. The breakfast bar place they had down there was exquisite. At Very Paris? good. Very good, yeah. Lots of croissants, right? Yep. Yesterday was, was National Croissant Day, by the way. Ooh, nice. Um, I've stayed at Rio. I've stayed at Paris. I went one time on a whim with my buddy from LA. We drove over, like, let's just go to Vegas for the night. And we stayed at Barbary Coast, which was like, just because it was right in the middle of the strip, I think it was like 58 bucks. But it was actually kind of cool. Um, when we stayed for the IndyCar race, we stayed at Aria, okay. I think, um, which is off way out by Vegas terms. And that was, I hate to say it, that was the, the Dan Weldon year in Vegas. So the whole weekend was, you know, right. Th that kind of, I guess, Everything else takes a backseat at that Yeah, point. like you look back on it, it's like I almost hardly remember where we right. stayed because the whole thing was just kind of a blur. Uh, it was the New York, New York, not the American American. Got my, got it confused there. Now, the thing is, like, do you remember any of them being like bad rooms, like like a dump or anything like that? No. No. The Luxor is the only one to me 
it's interesting that that's going to be the media hotel for the Super Bowl because the Luxor is really dark. Like it would be, I don't know. Like every time I've, I've been in there a few times, and it's just it's not well lit, right? And that would drive me nuts. Very smoky as well. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Aren't most of them <laughs> anymore? Uh, my wife, my wife loves. I'm not talking about that kind. My wife loves hotel oh, really? architecture. So like a lot I'm, of the ganj, Eddie. Is that what you're saying? I, no, no, no. I was. I people a bunch of lung darts. Say, no, the actual cigarette. Like that's what I mean. Lung darts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think every like Vegas. I still think of is smoking still allowed in Vegas casinos. I mean, cigars are right. I don't remember seeing like we walked through like the Bellagio, walked through Cosmopolitan. I don't remember seeing like bar room smoke, like smoke filling the air there. Okay, I don't recall I mean, that, that's good. At least on casino floors and everything. So I would assume that's because I think I said I told you guys earlier. So when we go for this show at the Sphere, the Sphere is connected to the Venetian. But the Venetian for that weekend, I don't know what's going on at the Venetian. Maybe it's the show. I don't know. It was like $1,000 a night. And I'm like, Mm. yeah, I'm not doing that. The closest casino right across the street. Let's be real. When when most people, when you go to Vegas, don't you go and you just go on whatever website and they list whatever. Every casino at some point has some sort of specials or whatever for that weekend. Don't you pretty much just end up staying in whichever one has like a special that weekend? Probably. Uh, You know, so... So Treasure Island was, and, and that's a little more of a passe dated one for sure, but their prices were good, and it's right, across, it's next to the Sphere. So I'm like, okay, that, that's where we're going. And somebody told me, Eddie, same thing. Uh, lots, lots of the uh, lung darts being s- smoked around there. So hopefully they'll have a good ventilation system. <laughs> That'll be the concern. Uh, okay, so the the Pro Bowl, as we talked about, now the the situation scenarios are different, but. Ryan Kelly and DeForest Buckner are on their way there. I wonder if they get like a is there a bonus that, a financial bonus they get for making the Pro Bowl? Depends how contracts are negotiated. A lot of times in today's NFL, you'll see more emphasis on All Pro, but every now and again, language will be Pro Bowl appearances. I don't know the again the language is listed with his, but it can be. Yeah, I think um, Zach made an interesting point when we were talking about just what the Colts need. And I think Zach Kiefer offers a good perspective because if he's around Kansas City, for example, this whole time and just seeing the culture, and I know that's such an overused word in sports, but but there's some truth to it. The atmosphere, the attitude, the professionalism, all of that. You know, you could tell that Zach, who covered the Colts pretty intimately, was aware of the fact that, you know, they are sure – they were a game away, a quarter away, a half away from the playoffs. But there still is a, you know, Miami made the playoffs. Houston made the playoffs. Do you think in any way, shape, or form that those teams, by the time you watch Kansas City doing what they did in Baltimore, you're like, man, that that is a world away. But you're only a couple players away. But But one of those players, Jimmy, has to be, and I know I keep saying this, and I'll keep saying it, leading into the draft. It's great to go out and get yourself great pass rush. You need that. I get it. It's great to go out and get yourself a lockdown corner. You need that. I get it. But I don't know that any of it in today's NFL matters so much if you don't have multiple people to just spread out the other team's defense and get 
yards in space. I, I, I just when you watch, look, the Colts had it. I mean, I mean, think about if you were a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs or the Las Vegas, then Oakland Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders, the whatever Tennessee Titans in the Peyton Manning era. I mean, you got Edron James coming out of the backfield. You got Marcus Pollard is able to make catches. You got Dallas Clark, who is a, a tight end that that makes one left hand turn and is gone for eighty yards down the sidelines. You got Marvin Harrison behind the defense. You got Reggie Wayne slanting across. You got Brandon Stokely that you get the ball. I, Troy Walters is making plays. I mean, you had to be like, holy cow! Like, how do what do we do here? It's like whack-a-mole, right? Trying to figure out where you're going to stop it. And right now for the Colts, offensively, Jonathan Taylor is a wonderful player. He's unbelievable. But he's also pretty easy to hone in on because you're like, okay, listen, guys, this Pittman guy, he's going to go out across the middle. And then that Alec Pierce dude, like he's going to go long, but Gardner Minshew probably can't get on the ball. And if he does, it's 50-50 that Pierce catches it. So like, okay. And then – the tight ends, like we're not sure which one it is this week, but whatever the scouting report was, just whether it's that, um, you know, the different players that are on there. Now, Mallory, I do kind of like, but Miley Cox and, and you know, Jelani Woods and, you know, the different guys that come through there, I, are we really worried about it? They're kind of interchangeable. There's nobody that really, other than Taylor coming out of the backfield, that you've, you're like, look, you got to know where that guy is at all times. And if they catch the ball – uh, who knows where they're going to go with it, right? Yeah, and you hope that maybe in year two, there's another leap forward for Josh Downs. I know there's some that's very polarizing of what you feel Alec Pierce can be. I don't view him at this stage as being having been worth a second-round pick, but that said, if you go get another playmaker, another wide receiver, he could be a solid third or fourth option within an offense, but you're right. They need somebody that is not just able to get open, but that is able to generate yards after the catch to extend drives. You already have a solid possession piece in Michael Pittman Jr., and you have the ability to dominate in the trenches, both with your O-line and with Jonathan Taylor. Like You have pieces there and a nice foundation. The only thing I would push back on, less so with Miami, but more with Houston, of why you can't help but have a tiny look of envy, and I go back and forth with this, of What's better? Have a better draft pick or actually get in the dance? And it was clear that the Colts were going to be in the get in the dance conversation. It was clear Houston was going to be in that same path. But you look at what is the moment when a franchise changes from a seller-dweller culture to a no, we are a rising commodity in the league. And you had that happen in year one with D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud. That doesn't mean it can't happen here in year two or year de facto one with Shane Steichen and Anthony Richardson, but that is a team that just like the Colts is looking at the rest of the AFC and they feel a little bit closer because they were able to A, definitively know they have their quarterback and B, have a year under their belt of, well, we just happened to fall backwards into the division title. You know, it's so interesting, Jimmy, when you get to the dance, and and by the dance I mean and and it's always funny to me in in the National Football League when you talk to players and coaches and they refer to the playoffs as the tournament. I hate it. It's one of my biggest wow, pet look, peeves. You, I you, can't stand it. It's, they all do it though, right? I know they do it. Announcers do it. it this isn't March Madness. It's not the. It, it's the playoffs. Like it, right, right. Oh, drives me nuts. So, but the they tournament. all say tournament, right? Yes, they all say tournament. 
and we see teams that break through and get into the playoffs and become an it team. And then you wonder, and I'll, I'll use a Colts example. That 95 team, the Lynn Elliott game in Kansas City. Thank you. They go into San Diego. Marshall Falk is hurt. Zach Crockett doesn't carry the ball all year. Goes in, rushes for, I'm going to go off the top of my head, 163 yards. We're going to have Eddie Garrison look that up and see if that is a verifiable fact that Zach Crockett ran for 163 in San Diego. Could be wrong, but I think that's right. When was this? In the 95 playoffs. And then they win that game and they go to Kansas City. Lynn Elliott misses three kicks. They advance. It was freezing cold at Arrowhead. They go to Pittsburgh and Lamont Warren is making plays and you know, Aaron Bailey has the drop pass, but he's making plays all of a sudden. And like, literally, it was like house money. And it was like, here are the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, like, where did this come from? Let her rip. You know, Ted Marchabrota's just got these guys, like everything's working. Jim Harbaugh's dropping back, Captain comeback. Everything's working and their offense is clicking. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's all come together in the course of like a month for these guys. And you know, Quentin Corriott is, if he just would have had that interception, but he's making plays and he looks great out there and everything seemed right there. And then they they made the coaching change and they bring in Lindy Infante, but they never knocked back again. And before you know it, a couple of years later, they're back in a position to draft number one overall. The Detroit Lions, for example, everything was working all of a sudden. Their offense is clicking. They got weapons coming all over the place. Guys that you weren't used to are are suddenly finding a second lease on life or young players are evolving. And then you wonder, like, okay, is this it for Detroit? Or is Ben Johnson going to leave? We now know that their offensive coordinator is staying there. But it's so hard to come back. That's why what Kansas City is doing is so impressive. And what the Peyton Manning era Colts did is so impressive. And what Tom Brady and the Patriots did was so impressive. Because we take for granted how tough it is to get back there again. It's insanely tough. Uh, it, it's amazing. Now, did you happen to look up, Eddie? I did. What did you say the number was? I'm going to say that Zach Crockett in that game against the San Diego Chargers rushed for 163. 147. <sighs> Two touchdowns. And where did I get 163? That's a he very had 157 all-purpose yards. And the 15-yard called say. back on a hold. It's okay. That, that had fine. to be it, right? Yeah. Um, 10 yards receiving. One more time with a breaking news sound already, if we could. Uh, we have finally heard from the good doctor, Dr. Motman, lifelong Detroit Lions fan. I'm glad he's alive, first of all. I'm sorry, he, Doc. He is in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and finally responds to the text of a wellness check, if you will. He must have just got to a cell tower. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> he was skiing in Jackson Hole and just got near a cell tower. He writes the following. Ben Johnson staying. That is huge. Makes next year way different. Way different. But I will admit, it's been a rough couple of days out here for all of us. <laughs> yeah. I believe so it. There man. you go. And then he sent me a picture of Wyoming whiskey. So... So that's how he's been passing. They're, they're coping. Through, they're coping say. in Jackson Hole. Are the Motmans? Doctor Motman is his it's brothers such, and everybody else. It's such a helpless feeling. 
Oh, I was, I was, so it's not, you're so, you, you know, your mind starts racing. Right. You're watching and you're like, oh my gosh, the Super Bowl. We're going to Vegas. Holy cow. I can't believe it. And like, you start getting ahead of yourself and then boom, it's gone. And you're like, oh my gosh. It, it wasn't at that level, but for more love for Colts fans to, you know, have, have fun at my expense. I was there at Lucas for the Andrew Luck comeback game. Oh, I was there too. So, it was, so it, great. It's just, it's, it was such a help was feeling. Add to the fact that like, just historically speaking, the Chiefs don't do well against the Colts in my lifetime. It feels like the demons are finally exercised, like it's going to happen. And then it just was a slow horror movie of, oh, here's, but I would, here's, the thing, here's Freddy Krueger flying would, through the air. Would you rather lose a game where you had a huge lead and it gets away from you or lose a game where it's back and forth the entire time and you lose on a last second shot? Or like a or a I last, would I'll, I'll last take I'll take back last, and forth. What good the back and forth? Yeah, yeah. I'll take last play because if it's back and forth like that, yeah, you, you never can tip the cap and when you, you collapse. And you also don't start convincing yourself you're going right because you're not you, buying tickets at half. You start racing ahead, <laughs> like in your mind, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. Right. This is the greatest thing ever. And then all of a sudden, when it's over, you that's when you just realize you're like, oh my gosh, it's over. Yeah, like I've got to wait another year. Just ask Falcons fans. Can you imagine? Man, just imagine what that would be like. Uh, Stephen Holder, by the way, joining us in 10. Now that is not... Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Bill Collins, right? Correct. This is Train. Now I heard uh, heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from another that we have tickets to see Train. <laughs> That friend of your friend of your friend of your friend is correct. Heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who see us. How good I am. Heard it from another. You've got tickets around. Where's that red button? <laughs> That's that'd be is that the, the dump, dump button. button? <laughs> is that what you're looking for? It's the Rick <laughs> Carlisle honorary dump button after this morning, right? It used to be the Chris Ballard honorary dump button. Now oh, it's I was looking for the, actually it's the original Robin Miller Memorial dump button. Truth be told. To be honest, though, I was looking for the America's Got Talent X, but that's fine. That's, oh, that's, that's fine. You didn't too. have the golden buzzer over there? No, it was too far away. Uh, we have tickets to give away, by the way, for, and we're going to do it right now. This is on July the 10th, if I'm not mistaken. Train is going to be at Ari, with Ario Speedwagon, and in addition to that, uh, Yacht Rock, right, Eddie? Yes, sir. And that is that July 10th? Do I have the date correct? That date is correct. And that will be taking place where? At Ruoff Music Center. Man, I'll tell you what, uh, Ruoff is fabulous. I've seen uh, last summer I saw uh, Tears for Fears there. I saw Noel Gallagher, which was outstanding. Are we doing the typical trivia? Are we feeling nice today and just call our number you know what? or whatever? I have a trivia question for somebody. All right. If they want, if you want to go, call in right now at 239-1070. I have a Pacers All-Star trivia question for you. Okay, Pacers All-Star trivia question. It's It's a simple trivia question. A very easy trivia question. But if you call in at 239-1070, we'll put you on the air. If you get the question correct, you are on your way with the tickets for July the 10th. And I always forget when we give out the phone number that it takes like eight seconds for the general public to hear it. So at first, I get very self-conscious that nobody's listening to the program. I enjoy the motif of the all-star trivia. We're really in the... 
We're in the home stretch. It's a couple weeks away. It is. It Let's is. do this roulette style for All time. Right, line three. Line number three, you are on the air, so please keep the four-letter words to yourself. But what is your name? My name is Mike, and I'm the part of the company as your safety director. Mike, we appreciate that. And by the way, Mike is a four-letter word, technically speaking. Uh, Mike, here we go. Here's the trivia question for you to send you to the July 10th train REO Speedwagon Yacht Rock concert at Ruoff. Are you ready? Yes, sir. I'm going to name you three Pacer players. I want you to tell me which of the three was never an NBA All-Star. Okay? Three players. You tell me which one was not an NBA All-Star. Those three choices for you are the following. Detlef Shrimp, Roy Hibbert, or Jalen Rose? Jalen Rose. Mike, you are not only the director of security, you are the director of all knowledge in terms of Pacer All-Stars because you are correct. Jalen Rose was never an All-Star, although... In the Pacers' lone NBA final season, Jalen Rose was, in fact, their leading scorer. Did you just hang up on Mike, Eddie? I put him on hold. I was worried that you hung up on him. Poor Mike. <laughs> I'm looking right here, and it looked like he totally disappeared, but you know who knows. Uh, you know who is not disappearing, by the way, is Stephen Holder, our friend from ESPN.com, with the playoffs now set for the Super Bowl matchup and a lot of news still with the Indianapolis Colts. Steven joins us next. Ryan Kelly, by the way, bottom of the 2 o'clock hour. It is a Tuesday. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey, in Indianapolis, and a glorious-looking one at that. And just when you look outside your window and you go, okay, it's kind of drizzly, it's gross, it's right around freezing temperature, I have two bits, actually three, of good news for you. Because I am the eternal optimist. My name is Jake Query, and yes, I am through your radio, Radio Sunshine. And... Here are the things of good news. By the end of this week, it is not only going to be the end of January, because no one likes January. Unless you were born in January, no one likes January, <coughs> right? Do you know anybody that likes January? I mean, I, you highlighted the birth thing. I was born. I thought you were born on December 30th. January 1st. No. Okay. Jan 1 for him. We celebrate his birthday right at midnight every well, it's year. it's all oh, downhill thanks, from there for the month. How about that? <laughs> thanks. Uh, secondly, it's going to be like 51 and sunny on Saturday. Plan accordingly. Joining us now on the guest line, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so with that level of optimism, Stephen Holder. Stephen, before we get to talking about the Colts and about the NFL, uh, I will ask you this because you and I sat there and watched it. You know, there are a few things that are more electric to watch in person than an NBA player that is as dialed in as Devin Booker was the other night at that game. Uh, I, I mean, listen, I know that we're there to pull for the Pacers, but that was something to watch, man. Was it not? It was incredible. Dude had 29 in the first quarter, if I recall. And I will give the Pacers credit, though. Like There was really very little you could do other than just throw everything you had at him. And, and if I recall correctly, in the fourth quarter, they did get some stops. And he 
he finally had some misses. I mean, they had to basically throw two guys at him every time he, you know, even thought about touching the ball, which of course leaves Kevin Durant open at times, which, and they dodged that bullet. But I, I don't know what you do in a case like that. I mean, there's just, uh, you talk about being in a zone and then there's that. And then there's what Devin Booker was doing the other night, which is something completely different. Yeah, it was. And you know, it is amazing when you think about that Phoenix team, um, you know, between Booker and then Durant, Bradley Beal, and Eric Gordon shoots the ball well too. Yeah. I mean, it's on that last play. It's like man, they could have gone anywhere with that. Uh, but obviously, a good win for Indiana, who's in Boston tonight. All right, let's talk football and begin with this. Um, I don't mean this as an unfair question, Stephen, but I do think that people want to know, and that is in terms of the health status of Jim Irsay. Just are there any updates or is there anything that we have learned or that you have learned that you can share with us since the last time we spoke? No, nothing new. Um, the, the only thing I would say is that I, I'm not anticipating any, any actual news anytime soon either. Um, th- there doesn't seem to be anything particularly imminent. Let's put it that way in, in terms of, developments, announcements, or anything like that. So um, whether that means he's status quo, I, I don't know. That's that's the tricky part, interpreting that. But um, well, I guess we'll just leave it at that and hope for the best. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, we know that his condition, at least at last that we know, was stable. Um, and, Stephen, feel free to answer this with that is a dangerous thing to speculate, I guess. But – uh, are, are we at the point where if we don't hear anything, that's good news, that's bad news, or there's just there's no way to know news? I have thought about that a lot. Um, huh, I, part of me thinks that if there was good news, we'd hear it. You know what I mean? I, I I'm not saying they are um, jumping up and down to to share updates. Clearly, they're not. Um, but but just given just given you know the 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 sensitivity of the of the situation and knowing that people are are you know desperately waiting for news i i would think under those circumstances if there was positive news to share that um that it might be shared but but again we're getting into speculation now which is which is tricky but but i i i would i i tend to lean that way let's put it that way Stephen Holder's our guest from ESPN. Of course, the Super Bowl is set, Kansas City and San Francisco. That in two weeks in Las Vegas. Have you gotten your room at the Luxor? Because Jimmy has now realized that the media hotel apparently is sold out, Stephen. Oh, I, I, I'm not going this year, but I'm – so I, I think that's where the media is, isn't it? Yes. And my understanding is uh, it's a dump. Is that true? I don't know. I've never stayed there. <laughs> that's like – I've been. I've never thought of it as a dump. To be honest with you, it's it's very okay. dark. It's like a big. It's pyramid. shaped like an Egyptian pyramid. You would think instantly walking in they, that it's going to be cool. They wrapped the outside of it like a Dorito. So like, I, I mean, built, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I I saw that. I mean, nothing makes me think luxury hotel like um, a building wrapped in in a Dorito wrap. <laughs> I mean that that just tells you. I mean that's first class accommodation. Now I'm going to look up here. Luxor reviews. Let's see what their average review is here, okay? While you do that, uh, Stephen, the 
flip side to it is apparently additional block media rooms are available at Excalibur, which looks like you're going to a Knights at the Round Table convention on the exterior there. So, I mean, you take your pick at where you'd rather oh be. Okay. Hey, listen, all I can tell you is we were there last year for the Pro Bowl. And listen, I got to give it up to ESPN. They took care of us. So they sent me an email and they said, hey, you know, we've got all kinds of people, production people, camera operators, the whole nine, right? So they just get like a huge, big old block of rooms and they say, hey, if you want a room, put your name on the list. So I put my name on the list and the, like a couple of days before I leave, I get an email. All right, here's your confirmation. We're at the Bellagio. I was like, all right, ESPN. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Like, dude, I mean, let's just say Five Nights at the Bellagio Ooh. didn't suck. You get a pick in front of the fountain? Um, yeah, several. Yeah, Nice. All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Average review is a 7.4. That's not bad for the Luxor, right? Hey, man, listen. You know what? To be honest, does it really matter? Because when you go, I mean. That's what I say. You're never in your room, right? Yeah, when you go to Vegas. I mean, let's be honest, right? I mean, (laughs) what are you you doing anyway? If you're sober, you're not in the room. And if you are sober, why? Anyway, so anyway, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to keep looking for the best. I'm going to find the worst review and read it here in a second. But, Stephen, when you, I'll ask you the same thing I asked Zach Kiefer. When you watch Kansas City and San Francisco, what areas jump out to you that are most then magnified where Indianapolis falls short of those teams? The Colts are missing what that you maybe would not have answered a month ago, but now it's even more obvious to you? Well, I don't know if this is a perfect answer, but I think just that that ability to make a clutch play at the most important time. Um, clearly, I mean, the, the Chiefs were never really on the ropes in that game, but they definitely closed it out. I mean, Baltimore didn't make the plays. They just absolutely did not. And I could say the same about Detroit. Detroit absolutely, positively did not make the plays. We can talk about Dan Campbell's decisions. We can talk about whatever you want, right? But ultimately, San Francisco made clutch plays. The forced fumble down in, deep in Detroit's territory. That is a absolute huge clutch play. Uh, the, the rebound catch by Brandon Ayuk. That is a clutch play. I mean, tough break, right, for the defender, granted. But, I mean, give Brandon IU credit. I mean, that was, that's a tough play and a clutch play. Uh, it takes that kind of performance uh, to win uh, at that stage against that level of competition. You're playing the absolute best. Uh, you're going to be relatively evenly matched. Who's going to make the play? Who's going to make the mistake? I, I still think the Colts generally overachieved most of the time. Uh, but, you know, if you go back to, to week 18, if you want, right? I mean, they had a fourth down play. They didn't have – they had a, a situation where someone had to make a clutch play. Gardner Minshew, bad throw, running back doesn't make the catch. I'm not killing those guys. I'm just saying if you want to play on the biggest stage, you got to make the clutch plays that other teams don't make, period. You know, the – to me, the thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm harping on this constantly, so I'll ask you this, Stephen, to, to not be a broken record. I think the Colts need playmakers. I think when you look at, to your point, it's more about just making plays to me and, and 
or it's less about just you know flat out making plays and more about making big plays you know getting yards in space having guys that keep defenses nervous I don't know that Indianapolis has that yet it's hard to say because Anthony Richardson we don't know the full throttle of what he is but just for example can Josh Downs be a guy like that yeah I mean that's a I guess the the jury is still out right um I I will say this look at the two teams the two teams Still playing. Actually, you could even expand this to the final four teams if you want. Include Detroit, include Baltimore. And you talk about each of those teams, I, I would argue they have players who are at the absolute top at their position, be it on offense or defense. Some, you know, maybe Detroit doesn't have as many, but I think Detroit has a lot of very good players. If not like super, super elite at their position, they're very, very good, right? And they have a number of them. Um, San Francisco, I mean, come on, right? I mean, you're talking about Christian McCaffrey. I mean, who, it doesn't get any better than that. You're talking about, you know, a guy like Bosa. I mean, look at Kansas City. You're talking about, oh, by the way, they got this guy named George Kittle and uh, Debo Samuel. They're okay, too. Um, Kansas City, granted, it's Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. But Travis Kelsey is literally the best. He's the best player at his position period you know so I think when you look at it from that perspective I think you just see what it takes you know someone has to um, at at the end of the at the end of the day someone has to rise above everybody else and make a play that no one else can make Um, and Kelsey is a great example of that they have risen above the lack of their their weapons elsewhere and, and have been able to withstand that because they have the absolute or have one of the absolute best tight ends in the history of football. I think that is unequivocal at this point. And then there's also Patrick Mahomes, who, by the way, this is probably the worst collective offensive talent he's had. It's not bad, but collectively, probably not great compared to his other teams. And here we are, right? So give the guy credit. You just, you have to have, it takes elite credit, at least elite talent, I should say, to get to the Super Bowl. It just does. Occasionally you will have the one-offs where a team just kind of falls into it and they get the right path and they win a game that they're not supposed to win. But ultimately your most cases, you are going to have absolutely elite players uh, often on both sides of the ball uh, on the, on the Super Bowl teams. Steven, which do you think is harder to find a a guy like a receiver that you know on a slant can then just you know a Jamar Chase type I mean that's pretty elite but you get what I'm saying like a a game-changing receiver or a tight end like a Kelsey you know you look at both teams in the Super Bowl Kelsey and Kittle I mean they got tight ends that just flat out make plays once they get the ball to them which one is harder to find Hmm. I would argue there are there's probably fewer tight ends that can do what those guys do than there are receivers. You know, I I just think that, and and maybe it's because teams feature tight ends differently. Not all teams feature their tight ends in the same fashion. So it's not an apples to apples comparison when you look at all 32 teams. So, so maybe this isn't, maybe this isn't a, a, a perfect answer, but, um, I, I just think if you – it also has to do with coaching too, right? If you, are, if you are a team that has 
that has a good scheme and, and the tight ends have a, a really good role in that offense and you have a coach who knows how to position them and, and get the most out of them, a la uh, Kyle Shanahan or you know, Andy Reid, for that matter, right? I mean, those, those are the keys. Those are the key ingredients. And I just think, you know, receivers, I mean, receivers are just more fundamental to offenses. I mean, everybody knows they have, they have a role. They're going to run routes on every, on every play just about. Tight ends have different roles in different offenses, and that's why I think we don't see the same level of production in the same uh, – and we don't see as many of those players producing at that same level because not all teams treat them the same. But if you have one, the reason it, it is so difficult, and, I, and the reason I think it's, it's something to lean into if you have an, an elite tight end is because it's a matchup problem. That is the thing. Who's going to cover your, your elite tight end? We know at receiver, we know you're going to match up with a corner. That's just how that works. You know, you shade the safety over there. If you, if you don't think you can cover him one-on-one, you know, right, that's just football. But the tight ends, I mean, you can get a tight end on a linebacker. I mean, Travis Kelsey on a linebacker, okay, good luck. Why, why are you even playing? You know, that's, that's the difference there. I just think the versatility, what you can do with those guys from a matchup perspective is huge with the tight ends. Now, here's a couple of reviews from the Luxor from, from <laughs> yesterday, okay? Uh, gotcha. Steven, here we go. Now, this isn't terrible, the room was dirty. It smelled of mold in the carpets and in the room. No amenities to speak of. Very loud and basically ineffective air conditioning. The property sucked as a whole. Room was very dirty. The elevator smelled like someone urinated in the sheets in the bed. This is all one review? And, and, it, and it did not seem clean. <laughs> now that's I mean, from yesterday. That's all one. All of those things are plausible yeah. in Vegas, right? All of those things are plausible. <laughs> totally, right? And here's the thing. <laughs> The problem with Vegas is that could be one guy's room, and then across the hall, it's like incredibly luxurious, greatest thing I've ever stayed at. You know what I mean? Uh, the whole place exactly is incredibly right. run down. The door to the bathroom didn't work. The elevators did not work for us. They were also filthy. Well, how would the, you know if the elevators are filthy if they're not working? Uh, the carpets are bubbling and very worn and dirty. We will not be staying bubbling. here again. Okay. Bubbling carpets. Now, that, that's pushing it. Yeah, but that Dorito. I don't even know what that is. I, I did stay bad. at a hotel once where afterwards I read the review and it said they found blood in the mattress. Now, that's not good, right? Yeah, that's, that's a leave immediately type of thing. That's right. Stephen Holder is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at Holder Stephen. Stephen, with this question, there's two caveats to it. One, I consider you a knower of ball. We enjoy having you on the show. I enjoy you making weekly appearances with us. And two, think we can like that. Yeah, nowhere yeah. of ball, but I'll sure, take it. Sure, I'll, I'll give you the title. Why not? Put it in and, your Twitter bio. Yeah, now. you can put it in the Twitter bio. You can you can put it in a resume. Whatever you want to do. Secondly, I think we would both agree that Lamar Jackson is an elite talent and one of the very best mm. in the NFL right now. You tweeted something that I had a similar thought to in the divisional round against Houston, mm-hmm. and you said, "Serious question: If this is the Lamar Jackson we're going to see throughout the playoffs." Who's beating this team? And you acknowledge the fact that he had an MVP. What changed in the conference championship? Was he not the same Lamar in the divisional round? Or was it Kansas City was just a better defense and he tipped the cap to what Steve Spagnuolo and company did? Well, no, he, he wasn't the same player, right? And, and, and I think <laughs> I got a lot of like old takes exposed type you know, responses right, right. to that. And it's like, well, no. I mean, the whole tweet was based upon him playing at the same level. No, he played terrible. It is what it is. Now, the question then becomes, did the Chiefs do that to him? Or, or was there something inherent where 
Lamar was trying to do too much. Looked like he was I, pressing. I a, yeah, looked like he yeah, was pressing. I think at it's times. a little bit of both, but I do think there's merit to that argument that Lamar was trying to be what everyone wants him to be, whoever whoever everyone is, whoever those people are. When in reality, he just needed to play Lamar ball. You know, like Lamar doesn't throw into triple coverage. He did that on Sunday. I mean, that's not Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson gets very uh, makeable throws because of the combination of his running ability with his passing ability. And frankly, if he would have leaned a little more into that running ability, I thought at times he would have put more pressure on the Chiefs than sitting in the pocket and waiting and waiting to make a play and then having to make a play under pressure. I mean, I'm all for trying to play from the pocket. That's great. I mean, that's that's the way NFL football is is structured, and that's what you want to do. Uh, but the difference is the reason he's the X factor or an X factor is because of his legs. I just thought, I mean, come on, man. Like, it, all bets are off. When you're trying to get to the Super Bowl, you know, I, and I don't know if this is a, a product of, of how he was being coached in that game or generally. I, that's a question to be asked, and, and I don't know that answer. But I just thought that Lamar just needed to be true to who he was and play Lamar ball. And I don't think he did that. Now, how about this one? Check-in took 90 minutes. Evening oh. staff seems to disappear with each passing minute. Entire place stinks and the demographic is awful, but it is decorated like a Dorito. It's a W. It <laughs> saves the whole thing. That's right. That goes from a three-star to a five-star right there. Right. How many stars did that person give it? <laughs> That's a six. They were, they, were, they were hovering around a two, and then the Dorito element tripled it. And you like, think it right, smells we'll like nacho cheese? Is that why? There's just an aroma there when you walk <laughs> well, in? Well, the nacho's better than the molded urine, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, we know that a much. A little bit better. A little better. Not much, though. <laughs> Stephen Holder, our guest. Stephen, uh, we were talking about this earlier, and Ryan Kelly's going to join us about 10 minutes from now he is in the pro bowl along with the yeah. forest buckner um and i was asking this i don't know this you may the pro bowl is not what it once was you don't get the trip to hawaii and all that that comes with it but are there financial incentives for players to make the pro bowl depends on your contract uh there there are contractual incentives for many players i, I think a lot of star players have those kinds of um, escalators they'll call them um, they're pretty common. Now, whether it's a lot of money is another matter. You know, I think the, the bigger incentive tends to be all pro um, for obvious reasons, because that's harder to attain. Uh, the Pro Bowl, the reason it, it's, it doesn't count as much as it used to is because today, like, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, well, maybe more 20 than 10, but 20 years ago, the Pro Bowl was, was after the Super Bowl. It was, um, you know, so you didn't have the opt-outs for the Super Bowl, right? I mean, Patrick Mahomes is never going to play in the Pro Bowl because he's going to be in the freaking Super Bowl every year, right? Um, so you, you didn't have that factor. And then you just had you had the Hawaii variable, which is big, certainly. Who, who doesn't want to take their whole family to Hawaii? Um, you had, uh, I think it was just more, it was just kind of more understood back then that if you, if you got picked, you went. Today, you know, if you've got kind of a sore ankle, you bail, you know, it's before the Super Bowl, so guys have to get replaced. It, it doesn't have the same cachet. So to answer your question, though, yes, there, there can, depending on the structure of your contract, you can have a Pro Bowl incentive in there. 
And and I know there are players that have that. Yeah. You know, Stephen, one of the things about the Pro Bowl back in the day, and I wanted to see if you always kind of heard similar things that I always found fascinating is there were several guys that told me that when they would be in Hawaii at the Pro Bowl, you know, it's like you said, it's kind of a kickback vacation for a lot of them if the family sure. comes. And so there, there's a lot of you know, fraternal bonding and joking around and, and having fun and that kind of thing. And I've heard from numerous players that especially like at his zenith or on his rise, maybe even before that, that when guys were hanging out by the pool or doing whatever, that Peyton Manning would walk in and literally everyone would kind of stop to see what mood Manning was in and whether or not it was okay to like joke around and splash around. And of course, Manning's as big a jokester as any of them. And once they saw that he was okay with the 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 laid back atmosphere of it, then everybody returned to it. But he was clearly the alpha that they waited to see the tone to make sure that it was accepted in the ambiance of the Pro Bowl. Does that jive with the things you've heard? No, that that actually is that actually is relatively true. There's no doubt about it. I I will tell you. So I, I covered it last year, and it and it actually I know you know look I, I make fun of the Pro Bowl too, but um, it is good though because you get. To, to be in the presence of all of those stars and, and you get to interact with them, interview them. And so I, I find a lot of benefit from it. And actually I'm, I'm headed down there this week as well. Uh, so that's, that's become my baby, I guess, at ESPN. So I don't know what that says about me, but anyhow, uh, <laughs> there, there definitely are stories like that. Um, I, I think most guys take it for kind of a, you know, a, a fraternal thing and, you know, kind of a laid back event and it should be, but I, I think I would say this about Peyton, everything. I, I actually talked to Eli about this last year and he said that, and I think Ray Lewis too. And one of the things they said was that, you know, they were all pretty laid back, but when it was game day, like Peyton was like, all right, man, listen, no, 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 no. We're, we're going to, we're going to actually go out there and we're going to play. And like, and they would have actual practices. I mean, they weren't very structured and they weren't very serious, but when they were practicing, I mean, Peyton actually wanted to run stuff. He was like, wait, no, 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 you're going to run the route the right way. <laughs> and so, like, he definitely took it more serious than everybody else. Um, but then you have Eli who told me a story, which was hilarious. Um, I'm looking at the story here because I wrote about it. He, he said it was back in 2016, they, still, they had it in Hawaii that year. And he told me that all the guys were sitting around the pool and it was his daughter's uh, second birthday. And so basically the entire Pro Bowl roster sang, sang her happy birthday and, um, and they had a birthday cake poolside for her second birthday, which she'll never, ever remember, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> right. It is pretty cool, right? It is yeah. pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Stephen Holder. All right, Stephen, lastly, what do you got uh, upcoming in terms of what you're working on here? Yeah, Pro Bowl stuff this week for me. So um, we've got a story on, on guys who made it for the first time. You know, I think one guy, for example, this is the coolest thing. Uh, I didn't write this story, but my colleague did. One cool story is Raheem Mostert from Miami. This guy, I believe 31 years old, he's had, I think, a career-high 800 yards before this season. And this year he goes out and he may have, I think, may have led the NFL in in rushing touchdowns this year. Um, Had a great season. Uh, Certainly Miami didn't have the playoff success, but he individually had a career season at 31 years old. That's just phenomenal. So, uh, kudos to that guy. I'll catch up with uh, with Kelly and, and Buckner down there as well. I, I would say this is not to answer your question, but uh, just an observation. 
Um, I'm a little surprised that uh, Zaire Franklin didn't get get the nod totally. this year, even totally. after replacements. So tough deal there. Uh, that is, by the way, former Purdue Boilermaker Raheem Mostert, if I'm not mistaken. But yes, sir, uh, that's correct. That All right, Stephen, appreciate it as always, man, and we will read the coverage about the Pro Bowl, and that includes the guy that we're going to talk to next. Much appreciated, Stephen. See you, guys. All right, Stephen Holder joining us on the guest line. Again, we had talked about Ryan Kelly in the mix now for the Pro Bowl, and before he goes and takes on those festivities, he will be calling us. That conversation will be next here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Did you request this, Jimmy? Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I had mentioned earlier Tarzan and Phil Collins was a tandem in 1999, and Strangers Like Me, I think, probably the most popular. Today's off of Phil's that birthday, right? Track, yes, it is. What do we say, 73? 73 years old for oh. Phil Collins. Um, man, he, I'm telling you, there was a period there where he was like in every commercial, every song, everything, you name it. He was the pro bowler of musicians. Speaking of pro bowlers, a guy who just found out he is going to be one this year joins us on the program talking about the Colts center, Ryan Kelly, who, along with DeForest Buckner, is added to the Pro Bowl list. Ryan, first off, man, that is short notice for you to join us, so we are very appreciative of that, and congratulations. Oh, anything for you guys, man. I appreciate you guys uh, <laughs> supporting me and doing all these things, so it's a big, uh, it's a big honor and obviously one that uh, doesn't come with final place with some great players around me. So I uh, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on this afternoon. Yeah, I'm curious of this before we kind of go back mm-hmm. and look at your year, you know, with the Pro Bowl. We were just discussing this. I mean, I still think of, Ryan, I'm still old enough where I think of the Pro Bowl as like, you know, in Hawaii and everything else. And I know it's changed, but how much, like, what does the 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 period, you know, it's not your first Pro Bowl, so you know, what all goes into it, I guess, once you arrive? And how much do you kind of take advantage to maybe getting to know and being around other guys that you might not know but you compete against? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's probably the biggest takeaway from the entire week is, uh, you know, meeting other other players and meeting their families. And it's really just a cool event that the NFL puts on. I mean, they, they put a lot of resources into it to make it a great experience for your family. And um, obviously, they got a bunch of my family going down. And um, that's really kind of the fun part about it. I mean, the game – you know, when I got into it, my first role was 19. Um, you know, that game, you know, for the, those three years after that just kind of went downhill. I think guys just realized that the risk, you know, playing a game after the season, after, you know, 17 games um, is just is just too much, right? So I think the flag football game was kind of a, a kind of a rebirth of the Pro Bowl to kind of make it fun and competitive for guys, but also, you know, not, not take the injury to risk. So um, it's, just, it's just a fun time to be around. I mean, we'll, we'll have – our twin boys there. We'll take them to Disney, um, and then we'll you know we do Universal. We do the whole thing. So it's kind of like being a kid. Um, still something to play for. So you still get paid if you win versus if you lose, and um, it's still a big deal. But uh, it's certainly a really just a really fun event for family and friends. Cold Center Ryan Kelly is our guest. Ryan, I apologize if this is a dumb question, but but from afar as a consumer of the sport, not being out there a part of it, but being a viewer. And being a younger viewer at that, my thought has always been that, well, to players, 
all pro and being a part of like you were as a second teamer in 2020 is what really gets players excited when they get that nod in terms of postseason or end of the regular season awards that you can earn. I know you touched on the Pro Bowl a little bit there, but my perception has always been that, well, the Pro Bowl doesn't really mean as much when you get that call or you get that opportunity. Is that a misnomer? Does does it feel just the same? Is it just as cool to get that type of recognition? Um, yeah, I wouldn't say that the, I mean, the Associated Press is votes on the All-Pro, so it's like, you know, it's not, I think the, one, of the, one of the best things that's ever happened from this has been the, the NFL PA All-Pro because it's a truly an award that's given to players that's voted strictly 100% by players. Uh, I think the, you know, the foundation of that and the, and the birth of that has really been kind of a big, big deal. Um, not that the Pro Bowl or the All-Pro doesn't mean anything. I mean, I think it's a huge accomplishment for, um, to be nominated for it and certainly, it's not just fan vote that goes into Pro Bowl. I mean, there's a there's a player vote in that too. Um, so, you know, I think it is. It's it's one of those things. It's like yeah, you like you make one, and it becomes a little bit easier to make them. You know, but um, obviously, you know, the players still vote in that, and it still still definitely counts. And um, it's any, any award to, that showcases a year that you had um, certainly is a big deal. But uh, I think if like you asked anybody that got the award, um, they know that they wouldn't be there without the players around them. Ryan, I want to go back to Ryan Kelly's our guest who is going to be along with the Forrest Buckner now headed to the Pro Bowl representing the Colts. Um, I want to go back to when I was doing the morning. The last time that you and I talked, I wouldn't expect you to remember this, but I was doing the morning show with Kevin Bowen and we were at Grand Park and you came on with us and I thought you were really honest and vulnerable, quite frankly, and just talking about you know the challenges that you had overcome in terms of the you know the injuries that you were overcoming the personal stuff very understandably that, that just got you down as a player and then now here we are talking about you going to the pro bowl um that journey itself does this feel like an exhale if you will of okay i'm back now and i'm i'm comfortable again yeah i mean i think i, I never like lost that um the ability to, to know that I could play in this league and play at a very high level. Uh, I think it was certainly like the last time we talked, a lot of, um, you know, outside factors that were really weighing. I mean, it just takes a toll on you after a while, right? I mean, a, you know, a terrible 22 season, a lot of things going on. Lose my daughter the year before, still dealing with that last year. Um, and, and to come back and, you know, I think it's just, you know, we, my wife and I never lost our faith in God that he would, you know, ultimately bless us and even – you know, when I talked to you, my boys were still in the NICU that nobody knew about, right? But I knew that they were here. Um, and so I think it's amazing, you know, what, what a year can change, right? I mean, just just, a, just an entire calendar year and how much better um, and how different your life can be. So I think that uh, I wouldn't say it's like I'm back, you know. It's just like, you know, every year becomes harder, right? You get older, you get more expensive. Um, but this was the most fun I've had playing football, and I think it was – you know, I had two boy, two twin boys at home. You know, we're in a new house. My wife is here. She's healthy. Um, you know, we have a new coaching staff. And um, just kind of like that, that reset that I needed. Um, and I really just love this year. I and mean, I hate how it ended. But um, just over for, you know, one calendar year, how much more fun you can have and how much, you know, turning 30 and all these things, right, it doesn't matter because, you know, we're having fun. We're being competitive. Uh, we're all back to playing really well. And I think it's just a, it's a great time. You know, I think, Ryan, people find, even people that are older than athletes, people find inspiration in sports, right, and in their favorite team or their favorite player. 
for, for somebody that's listening right now that's going just going through a tough time, you know, that's just in a funk or work's not going as they thought or family or whatever it might be, um, you know, I think people are inspired by you and, and the things that you're talking about. What would you say to them? What was the thing? Maybe it's your faith, right? Maybe it's your wife. What what, what was the thing that you were able to to reach down and find that is there for everyone? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's, that's a, a tough question because, I mean, in order to kind of come to the other side of the fire, you got to go through hell first. And there was, no, there was certainly a ton of that, you know, and there was no, you know, it was having to go back and face the same people that I left the building on that Wednesday, you know, in December of 21, um, you know, going back in and facing them again, knowing the things that had just transpired in the last two weeks, right? Like there was all these steps we had to go through. We had to go through a year of not being able to get pregnant when all we wanted was to bring our daughter back, but we couldn't. We wanted to have another one and we couldn't. Um, and so everybody's situation is different. I mean, and, and for me, um, you know, I found an outlet through fishing or, you know, that was just by myself, right? Like things that I could just cope with and I, and I could sit there for 30 minutes or an hour and I wouldn't have to talk to anybody. I could be in my own thoughts, mindlessly fishing, right? And that was for me, that was the biggest thing. And um, I think ultimately, you know, if I had never, you know, to pay back on that, if I had never opened up um, to my wife and if we had never saw, you know, this, this amazing therapist that talked about our grief and the differences between men and women. I mean, you know, I, I don't grieve the same way as my wife does. And, um, you know, when we complicate each other's grief, it only makes things worse. And so I think that, you know, seeking some kind of, uh, whether it's, you know, reading books on there, there's tons of information on this um, and we just, you know, we were so dark and deep that we didn't understand how to get information, right? And I think that was the hardest part is us complicating each other's grief. And so I think having an outlet and then also understanding that um, you, you both need each other's space, but you also need to be a support system for each other, I think is um, the hardest part. And I'm speaking for just my circumstance and my wife, but, um, you know, finding an outlet, I think, is, is overall, I know it's kind of a long-winded answer, but finding an outlet, you know, an outlet that's positive, uh, that makes you happy or that takes your mind away from something just for even if it's 30 minutes, I think it's, it's super important. I think it's great stuff. I think it's great advice, uh, and I appreciate it. I wanted to ask you about a couple of your teammates just, you know, in the in the past season and kind of learning them as well, right? A guy that I've been impressed with because um, I really think that he has progressed and looks like he might be, you know, a guy that's going to be here a while. I know he's two to the left of you, but you would know because you're in the room with him. Um, take me through the maturity and the arrival of Bernard Ryman. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, the guy gets here two years ago and, um, you know, kind of a, a rotating position at that position at the time, you know, after Costanzo had left and Eric Fisher had left. But, um, you know, I got to give the guy a lot of credit. I mean, uh, you know, I came in as a rookie and played every game at center. It's a little different when you're out there on the edge and it's pretty lonely out there, you know, and I think that, um, you know, certainly his rookie year, you know, probably beat himself down pretty good. Um, and then, you know, after last year, he comes back, works his ass off all off season to, to gain weight, to get stronger, uh, to work on his fundamentals and his craft. And, um, I think that if you, you know, if you've been inside the building, you understand how much he cares. I think that that's what you can say from across the board, you know, all five guys is that there's not, there's no doubt that these guys care about what they do and they care about, playing well for their team, playing well for each other. Um, and I can't say enough about him because he's done the same thing. I mean, just every day finding ways to study great tackles or to figure out ways to get better. Um, and then if he didn't have a great game, he's going to find out a way to have another great game after that. So I think that the, the development of him is just continuing to keep rising. 
What about the dynamic of Ryan Kelly is our guest, by the way, the Colts center. You know, a guy that you'd be the best one to ask because you, you would have to work the closest with both of them. Um, can you take me through the dynamic of the the things that were there for Anthony Richardson? We all wanted to see Anthony Richardson play. But once he got hurt, I guess the, the tools that were there for him to learn, and that includes Gardner Minshew, what can you – what light can you shed on the relationship between those two and the way that Gardner Minshew might have been tutoring, maybe without even knowing it, Anthony Richardson? Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for, you know, I was in the room every day with him, but I know that, you know, speaking on behalf of Gardner when he got here in April, I mean, the guy, you know, probably assumed that we were going to draft somebody pretty high as a quarterback position, right? But it never deterred him from um, going out there, you know, even even all the way through OTAs and in the training camp, really. Um, you know, not know if he's going to be a starter or not, but he really prepared and, and made relationships, you know, organically with his players um, that really felt like he was going to be the starter, right? And I think that the true test of a great pro is, you know, he ends up, you know, getting second place, right? Anthony goes out there and has a great um, beginning of the season, some ups and downs, but for the most part, I mean, I think he showed off what he can do with his arms and his legs. And then Gardner goes in there and, you know, yeah, next man up, right? And he plays the rest of the season and plays really well. Um, and so I think that, you know, Anthony's obviously a young guy, he just turned 21. Uh, I think, I think for him having a guy that filled in that role so well, um, you know, I think that Gardner also understands that, you know, he's not, you know, he's not trying to tell this guy everything he needs to know. Right. I think it's just like, it's pieces here and there. It's like nuggets over time that, that end up being a lot of information at the end of the year. And I think Anthony, you know, he was away for a little bit, getting his, his surgery done. But when he came back, I think he, you know, he also had an amazing quarterback coach. He had Sam Ellinger in there. He had Jim Bob Cooter. He had Shane Steichen. So I think you add all those things up, and I'm sure it was a ton of information, you know, kind of like drinking from a fire hose, just like when he first went in there. But um, I know he'll be better off next year for it. Cold Center Ryan Kelly is our guest. Ryan, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but you and your wife, Emma, give birth to your two twin boys in Ford and Duke this past summer. So there'll be one around June. So maybe it's not pertinent for this go around, but you're going to Orlando for the Pro Bowl. And of course, Disney World's there. So I want to weigh you in on a conversation I've had with my sister in law uh, for backstory, her sons, what they were before the age of three, which is when it's free to get into Disney World for kids. She would take them. And it's like, well, are they really going to remember that when they're so young? Where do you stand on it? If you had the opportunity to go take Ford and Duke and you and Emma go to Disney World, are you going before three or after three years old? Uh, is it paid for or not paid for? Uh, I mean, I would assume you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you, are, you are paying for it yourself. But again, if you go before age three for them, the kids are free. Okay. Uh, well, we're not paying for it at all, which is nice. <laughs> the, 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 the NFL is paying right, for it this right. year. But um, no, I mean, I think if we were paying for it ourselves, we'd wait till after three just because I'm not – I'm not the biggest Disney guy, but it is going to be a fun experience with them because, you know, even like things they won't remember. Right. I mean, it's just, it is fun to be um, just to see their facial expressions. If they see Mickey or something, right. Like they, they're kind of getting to that stage now where they smile a lot and they can, they can track, they can follow with their eyes. And so um, like everybody says, right. It's just more fun when you have kids, you bring them along with you. um, So that way you get to do things too. So uh, it'll be a good time. Ryan, since the season ended and in between the time that the season ended and you became a pro bowler, and by the way, speaking of that high Disney ticket, my understanding is uh, you get a little juice for making the pro bowl. So congratulations. That's might be enough for a parking pass at Disney. Um, But your head coach from college, Nick Saban announced his retirement. Did that surprise you? What was your overall reaction? And just when you look back at 
his contribution to college football? You know, I, I think it surprised me at first, and then I think as you like think about the changes of college football now, I mean, there's not a better recruiter than Nick Saban in the past two decades, three decades, however long he's been in college, right? I think it's the amount of hours he puts into it, demands of his staff to get these players from the time that they're young and, and maybe a freshman or sophomore to get them to college and then to develop them in, in two or three years, become a starter, go to the NFL, right? That's kind of the pipeline that he has mastered and he mastered for so long. I think that the new college format where if you just can just transfer whenever you want, I think it just doesn't make sense anymore. So I'm sure being 72, being grandpa, you know, he's probably like, I'm just done with this. Like it doesn't make sense anymore for me. Right. Um, so at first it surprised me. And then I'm like, I get it, man. I mean, the guy loves playing golf. Um, it is going to be surprising to me because the guy cannot sit still uh, for as long as I've known him. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I'm sure he'll stay busy in some capacity, but um, just talking to local porters, um, been reached out to a couple times since then, just asking about funny stories or recruiting, uh, you know, what made him so special. And, um, you know, it's kind of interesting to, my wife reminds me all the time is, you know, when you're in it and you play for him, um, you don't think anything of it, right? You just, those are the guys you knew, you knew him very well. It was something that you lived. It was part of your life. Um, and then you look back on it and you're like, oh my God, you know, like, I mean, the, the guy had a national champion. I mean, if you were there since 2007, you had a national championship with every year for, you know, whatever it is. Right. The guy, the guy had 12 win seasons, you know, every single year since he's been there almost. So, um, I mean, you can go on and on. I mean, the, the, the financial impact he had on that city, right? The the university expansion, all because of one hire, uh, I think is amazing. And I, but I think that one of the most impactful things is, you know, seeing how many guys' lives he's changed, guys who had no future, guys who had kicked off the team that he ultimately gave a second chance to when nobody wanted him to. Um, those guys are doing well today. So, um, you know, you can look at X's and O's and you can look at all the stats and you can look at everything he's done football-wise. But I think that what – he gets missed a lot of times the, the amount of, um, you know, progress he's made for families just because uh, he cared about them and he cared about his players. Did you grow up a Reds fan, by the way? Oh, yeah. Still diehard Red fans to say. I, I was going to say, like, I, 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 every year I think, like, okay, here we go. Like, this is going to be the year finally. You know, I was a senior in high school and they won their last World Series, right? So I've been chasing the high forever. Yeah. Uh, is this the year, Ryan? I mean, is this the year? You know, my dad actually played high school baseball with Todd Benzinger, who was on the uh, Big Red Machine. So, nice. small world. But, um, you know, I, I hope it is. Uh, I mean, just talk about what an amazing ballpark. I mean, great American ballpark in the summertime, right on the river. Um, I mean, that's that's got to be a top five event. I mean, it's just a beautiful place. Um, I hope it is. You know, Vado's gone. Things are a lot changing. Um, but, I mean, I think we, we my wife and I went last year, and it was – a really funny time, and they they really started to take off. Um, but you know, the, you know, the build up to the red season is, is unlike any other in any other MLB team. So I, mean, I think the Reds, the Cincinnati faithful, get excited. Hopefully, this year won't get let down. Well, you got the best of both worlds because if you're a Reds fan, right about the time they get eliminated, you got to turn around and start focusing on work anyway, right? So, so, so the <laughs> exactly. heartache's easy, right? <laughs> that is uh, precisely right. Man. That's right. And it is. Uh, it's a good time every time we go down there. We try to get back there as much as we can. Well, Ryan, we appreciate the time. Congratulations again on the Pro Bowl and enjoy it. Enjoy it with your sons as well. And uh, just one time when you're sitting there and you're kind of overseeing everything, think about where you've been from you know a couple of years ago to now and everything you overcame. And great advice for other people as well. And I hope the fish are biting for you. All right, guys. I appreciate you. You guys have a good afternoon. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Ryan Kelly of 
the Indianapolis Colts, Center for the Colts, and of course, product of Cincinnati and then Alabama. JV just walked in. We'll catch up with him and find out what he's got lined up for later today. And do we have one more pair of tickets to give away, Eddie? We do if we have time. We'll just do it. I'll tell you what. Right now, caller number three. If you want to go see on July 10th at Ruoff, uh, you can see Ario Speedwagon, you can see Train, and you can see Yacht Rock. And you can do that if you are the third caller right now at 239-1070 on Quarry & Company here on 93.5-1075 The Fan. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day, it all focuses on Pacers Celtics tipping off 7.30 tonight on national TV. We'll take the over 19.5 total points for Pascal Siakam tonight against the Boston Celtics. In that same game, he's back. Give me over 35.5 total points for Tyrese Halliburton, assuming he does indeed get the nod. It appears that that is the way things are going. So over 35.5 total points for I clicked the wrong bat, Jake. Pascal I'm Siakam. Myself. No, no, I said Tyrese Halliburton. I'll have to get back to you with what that exact bet is because I plus points, rebounds, and assists. I wanted points and assists. Here we go. Over 31.5 total points and assists for Tyrese Halliburton. So over 19.5 points for Pascal. Over 31.5 points plus assists for Tyrese Halliburton. I don't need to scoop today because I want the money line. I want the money line for the Pacers. They're plus 200 right now. On a number of different books. Pacers win outright. Celtics drop their third at the Garden this year. Eddie, got anything? No. All right. Eddie is busy looking at Jake. We've reached new levels. Best sound editing. Best uh, screenwriting. Best special effects. That's right, Jake. You can get ahead before March. Oscars futures are out there now. You're welcome. Okay. You're welcome. You know, the problem with the Oscars and yeah. the Golden Globes and the Emmys and all those, uh-huh. old man yelling at clouds. All right. I do enjoy the Oscars. A lot of years I can still recall like the, the movies that were nominated for Best Picture, etc. I love going to the movies. I love it. This, this is like tonight. It's like a perfect night to go to the movies, right? I mean, I know the Pacers are playing, but this kind of weather, yeah. right? You know, it's... It reminds you, there was nothing better as a kid than like a Saturday afternoon going to the movies and maybe even trying to sneak in two movies in one day. But, and I get this, this is totally fun and cool, but so much now is done in terms of streaming and movies that are nominated are straight to stream and like you didn't even see them in the theater that it just seems harder now to track it, you don't have like the major blockbuster. No, I don't think films that's fully yellow cloud. I, I understand. Yeah, you know what I mean. You guys talking about Roadhouse? <laughs> we are the new Roadhouse. Oscar snubs. Can you believe Can that you? Fast Times didn't win? Listen, this is what I live life by, and it's first of all, I do nothing against the Sways. Sky Point to the Sways. You you can't do a Swayze movie like that over again. You can't reboot it. I like Gyllenhaal, but I don't want to see it. And the other thing is, his motto was, or his creed, or whatever he lived by, whatever it is, was be nice until it's time not to be nice. And I think Gyllenhaal's just like firing hands at anybody and everybody before they throw a punch. Man, you can't be doing that. All right, you got you got to defend yourself. What about the two of us, John? We're always nice until it's time to not be nice, right? Yes, we are. So, yeah, I haven't seen... I wonder if it's got good nudity in it. I haven't seen that. 
Like Road, the original Roadhouse had a couple of scenes. It was pretty solid nudity. You remember uh, Kelly Lynch in the original Roadhouse? So you know the story. I do not. Bill Murray knew the producer, or no, I'm sorry, Bill Murray evidently knew the husband of Kelly Lynch, who sways, <clears throat> for lack of a better description, put it too in the film. And uh, every time he sees it, because it's on all the time, he'll call his friend up and say, hey, there's your wife and Swayze going at it right now. <laughs> 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 Which no. I think is awesome. Nice, right? Yep. Um, hey, Neesmith, well done. Neesmith is such a good dude. For that to be your favorite pacer player, yep. I mean, he gives exact like Indiana people should love him. That's no exactly the type of player. And you know what, John? Indiana people go, well, this is the type of player that I love. That's him. Aaron Neesmith, I felt bad because when we were talking about, and I asked him his favorite book, and he said his agent recommended it. And I wanted to say, well, your agent did you a solid by offering that book, but he also like probably sold you short by having you re-sign before this year at, at, at what is going to be a huge but he's value. playing so comfortable, I, though. I man. know. Playing You're, so I mean, comfortable. Look, something. Is, yeah. He's exactly the kind of guy you need, right, yeah. on a team. Um, but what that deal that he signed is, what, like 13 a year? Yeah. What happens, though, if you get in a spot to where you don't perform and you get a lot of criticism, like in a crunch time moment, well, he's good up until here then, but... I mean, it, you just sign right now, man, get in a comfortable spot. He looks as comfortable he does. with that group as anybody out he there. Does. I think that has a lot to do with it. And that, you know, I thought it was interesting. You know, Chad Buchanan, you talked to him yesterday when he was talking about Jarris Walker. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, just you know, he said, hey, look, he, you know, he's going through some, some growing pains, basically. Did you hear me ask him, I want a copy of the DeAndre Ayton offer sheet <laughs> so I can get that. He says he still has a copy of it. I said, can you give that to me so I can put it in a frame and put it on my wall and laugh at it every time I pass it? <laughs> Seriously. He I, was cool I, about it, too. Really, normally, people would probably take that the wrong way if that was your decision at the time, but he was really cool about it. He said he'd get me a copy. Really? Yeah. I want a copy of it, yeah. That'd be cool. Wasn't well, I mean, that great? That was, you have to thank Phoenix for making that decision uh, for you with I, that. John, I'm with you. I'm somewhat of a conspiracy theorist. I'm on right this. there with you. On I this. have yep. wondered if they, if the Pacers didn't know. I, I've always wondered this: if there wasn't another player that Indiana thought Phoenix was going to be a competitor for, so they threw that out there, knowing that Phoenix was going to match they it. No, to Suns break. had no choice but to match that. They Correct. couldn't let him walk away like Correct. that. I want that copy though. I'm going to put that in a frame and right up on the wall right there. Did I tell you about? Well, I shouldn't say it now. So the the paperwork that that I'm trying to get. You have not. I shouldn't say this because now no, you should. I'm, I'm going to ruin my chance. You absolutely getting... should. Is it like a Playboy from no. Kiana Tom in the 1997? Shannon was like throwing out a oh, bunch no. of her father's old stuff and found a bunch of paperwork from, historically speaking. See, that's awesome right there. God <laughs> and I'm dang like, it, you really? have to keep that, yeah. Holy crap, that's She's, awesome. <laughs> it was Most of it was regarding the brawl. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> I'm like, don't throw that out. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> Do not throw like that what? out. Huh? Like, what does... It's all the paperwork back and forth between the commissioner's office and the franchise. I, I think, think that's they, fascinating. Do they have the paperwork totally. of signing totally. Marcus Hayslip when they didn't have any enough players to play because of that? <laughs> <Yeah>. Or <laughs> or the 
Do they have the facts? The facts for, for OJ Mayo. The facts for OJ yes. Mayo. <laughs> Is that laid around? I'm not kidding you. Like she I think cleaned, Morway put that up on his wall, didn't desk, he? and she's like, she's like, yeah, there's a whole thing. I'm like, I need the, all and, of that. And that was true. That was just late. I know. And Lair was unhappy. Yeah, yeah like it I was I, like it matters now. I was in yeah. grade school yeah. at the that time. That was McRoberts and, and, for OJ Mayo, it right? Was, and, yeah. and that story floated around. We were reading on ESPN.com just as like like well, how does this for happen? Those that I don't, understand. don't know what we're talking about. The, the Pacers were trying to trade for OJ Mayo and the facts came in like two minutes late. Yeah. To the league office. Yeah. Morway came on after that and, and like he wasn't yelling at me specifically, but he was so pissed he was like yelling at everybody. He was More, mad. Morway's a nice guy, but yeah. I once ran into him at the gas station where we were talking. <laughs> And he got in his car to drive off and forgot that the hose was still in the, <laughs> the nozzle. Like, was like still Mike the, Wells did at Bucky's or whatever that place is. Did yeah. He really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That Every time beautiful. I re- yeah, like when you get a AAA, you do AAA too. When you get a read and says, "Hey, if you have a flat tire or run out of gas or leave the gas tank hose and then drive off with it in there like Mike Wells," <laughs> that's what you need to do. Yeah. That is Add beautiful. That. All right, John's up next. Yeah, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to Aaron Neesmith. Yeah. And uh, Ryan Kelly as well. We. We will be back with you at noon tomorrow.